Hello everybody and welcome back to Season 7 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matthew Stockton. When the Jews return to Zion, and a comet rips through the sky, and the Holy Roman Empire rises, then you and I must sequelize. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Gregory Peck. Oh, Gregory, we're so, going to talk a lot about Gregory Peck. He's just a episode. boy. He's the best. These are knives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, joining us, also as always, is Tim Matum. Satan, your ass is gigantic and red. Who am I going to pretend you are, Liza Minnelli? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. This uh, is giving away what Tim is doing with the pitch. <laughs> the musical. In the role of Saddam Hussein. <laughs> what? Oh, God. If you hadn't guessed from the South Park reference, <laughs> we're fixing South Park the movie 2. Is there a South Park movie 2? I don't think there is. No, there's no. been a statement they made, which is the second they do, a second one is when they're done with South Park entirely, apparently. Okay. And then we'll we mark it. the end. Well, there you go. And then we rewrite it for them. <laughs> oh, oh, what are we actually doing? <laughs> We're actually doing Damien Omen 2. But before we get to actually talking about the film, because we will talk about this, we've got a lot to talk about. And I think we have some controversial opinions. Oh. Oh, Jack says that every week. Every week. I threaten controversial opinions fairly regularly. And Sorry, then turns... did you say, I threaten conversions? I threaten conversions. <laughs> like a good I threaten Catholic. conversions, God. I will convert you! I, I threaten with controversial opinions in the, like, pre-show chat quite a lot. And then Matt's yeah. just like, no, that's normal. I'm like, oh, great, cool. Yeah, I thought I thought I was like a real hipster, you know, like, you know, I really <laughs> didn't enjoy the, the third one. You're like, yeah, everyone didn't enjoy the third one, Jack. Get with the, get with the fucking picture. I'm like, yeah, but I'm cool and original. I never am, unfortunately. But we do have some people who are cool and original. Ooh. And who are also three, like us, the sequelizers. And they are our executive producers over on patreon.com slash sequelizers. You may know their names already, but just in case you've forgotten, the three men who have contributed to this season. We've already mentioned one pick of theirs. He had his pick earlier on in the season. He picked Future World that Mr. Stogden fixed earlier on. It's Stuart Main. A man with a pick. If they know him, they probably already know what he's picked because <laughs> he's asked us to do this, I think, since day one. Yep. Since literally like the first or second episode of the show, we received a tweet from this gentleman saying, Oi, I know what I want. You should fix this. And we're like, No. And then I was like, I'll pay no, you. And not we were until like, you give us And then money. we were like, Fine. <laughs> he's like, Good. And then he did. And that's why he's an executive producer. It's Mike Salvia. And last, but certainly not least, the man, here's a little tease for you, ladies and gentlemen, whose pick is next. Not this episode. Ooh, next week, son! But next week's episode is Ooh. this man's Patreon pick. Exciting. Tremble with anticipation. Anticipation. Patient. Thank you. It's Jonathan Firth Clark. A jackal! Tim Curry would have been great in one of these movies. Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. 
Maybe we'll just get much. full on Dr. Frankenfurter just in there dancing mm. about, being kind of murderous and weird. And all, I've and been so <laughs> I watched that this year for the first time. That's a conversation. Well, Rocky Picture Show. Yes. It's not great. Yeah, like it's, it. it's fine. It's iconic and the songs are pretty good. And Meatloaf's in it, which I didn't yeah. know. It's for repressed Gen Xs, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> We're fucked up millennials, we don't care. That's true. That's very true. And uh, if you fellow fucked up millennials want to contribute to the show and support us financially, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers at various levels to get early access and ad-free episodes for every tier, get bonus content, get discounts on merch, get exclusive merch, or even, as these gentlemen have done, get to pick an episode for us to fix. Because that's the highest tier, reserved only for three people at a time. But rumour has it that one of those tiers, one of those slots, may be available soon. Mm. Prophecy has, <laughs> has foretold. Tantalising. Yes. And speaking of prophecies, we're fixing Damien Omen 2. No, I yeah. didn't misspeak. That's what the film is called. So let's start there, shall we? The sequel to The Omen is Damien. Omen 2. Oh, such a bad, clumsy title. Who the, who the fuck? You better be... Uh, spoiler alert, Tim's fixing this one. You better change the fucking title, Tim, because... I've been guilty of not changing the title when I maybe should have changed the title, and I've had some silly fucking titles. Blade slash Spider-Man is a terrible fucking movie title, <laughs> but it's better than Damien colon Omen 2. Not it's The Omen weird. 2, colon Damien, which is bad, but at least makes sense and makes it, like, almost identifiable and would put it in your fucking DVD or VHS collection or whatever the fuck <laughs> alongside it. It was like, yeah, I've got The Omen under either O or T if you're an absolute psychopath. And then D for Damien over there on a completely different <laughs> shelf. <laughs> Who the fuck thought that was a good idea? Honestly. I mean, I have a problem with that with regards to my how I put my um, X-Men Blu-rays on the shelf. It's like, <laughs> do I include Deadpool and Wolverine and Logan and the Wolverine all in there as well? Or do I put them under L for Logan? Ugh. Mine's under L for Logan. So I'll, I see. I'll put it that under way. H for Howlet. Oh, <laughs> oh fucking hell. <laughs> I, I would Touché. say one thing that this was kind of a, a, a trend in a way. Um, the best example to take as a comparison is First Blood. Mm. And then the sequel. And, and then, but nobody called it First Blood. Oh, you mean, you mean Rambo short, 1? Rambo, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And weirdly enough, the Omen had been out for a couple of years at this point, um, but Damien was the focus. People said about knew the name Damien. They knew that was what the film was about, basically. So branding on that made complete sense in a way. Um, the Omen... Yeah, it's it's decent. I, I like it as a title. I love it as a film, obviously. But The Omen 2, yeah, it's fine. Damien's a good branding. It went through a lot of different titles. Yes. Um, some yeah. that were considered like not good enough and some that were considered like too controversial. I think it was going to be called The Antichrist at one point, and they were like... Yeah, they thought they could make that fly. They were like, A, religious people went like that, and B, not enough people at this point in the world know... Because this is kind of the film that introduced... The idea of the Antichrist to to the wider population, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a, a little bit of bibli biblical fact here. Preach it to me, Tim. The word Antichrist Testify. only appears in the Bible. I think it's three times, and it doesn't refer to an individual. It refers to people who are Antichrist, like a description. Ah, of okay, them. yeah. 
the, the heathens, the... And there's a couple of other references in there that tend to get lumped together of like, ah, oh, this is kind of like perhaps referring to this figure. Um, but generally speaking, going from a purely canonical Bible standpoint, like there is, mm-hmm. there is no evidence of the Antichrist in the Bible. So um, they don't find an underground tomb with a six-year-old's face and some snake no. heads. <laughs> not, not in the canonical not Bible. In the Bible, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe in the apocrypha, but uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, assumption that um, the everything tracked around the Antichrist and the idea about it and things was very much gauged at. Fuck, if I can do this. Nero, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus, maybe? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Nero, fucking, because he was yeah, a sadist. Yeah, there was a, there was a whole big thing of assuming that Nero was like, oh, he's Satan incarnate in, on the world. Exactly, and yeah. A lot of prophecies that yeah. were written yeah. around that time are like referring to Rome and stuff. I heard one of the best descriptions of Christianity from a historian's point of view, which was very, very well done. That just in, in its how reductive it is, and it's fantastic. Because it's like, okay, well, you know, the whole, there are things about Nero, like fiddling when Rome burned. That's not true. That's bullshit. He wasn't even in Rome at the time. But the whole throwing Christian civil lines is like, oh, that was definitely a fucking thing. He tortured the shit out of them. But it was weird because at the time, what they were seen as was a Jewish cult. And I thought, yeah, that is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I feel for branding. We should go back to that. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> you're celebrating Christmas, <laughs> the Jewish cultmas. But um, yeah, th- this is a... W- the 70s is a time where you had a lot of um, uh, edgy films being banned in countries for various reasons, too dark, too uh, visceral, too too much. The rise of slasher films, uh, you've got The Exorcist and this uh, being the omen. I, f- I, feel, yeah, I feel like this is the era of that kind of film where you've got the... Yeah. I don't really know what genre you would do, like satanic horror. I don't know how you describe like the Exorcist and stuff like that. I don't know when the Satanic Panic came out. Was it the eighties yeah. when they were like D and D is yeah D and D is late seventies early eighties. Yeah. So yeah, I feel that's fallout though of the of the media mindset mm-hmm. of the of the just general consciousness of all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, the, the, the Exorcist and the Omen would have had a much bigger cultural impact than the early days yes. of Dungeons and Dragons I feel oh, yeah, yeah, true, very true. <laughs> as much as but, I love that hobby it, it game, that but, thing in people's minds that, that fear that these things are cursed these things shouldn't yeah, matter with Ouija the, boards the and, and, and all that kind of stuff mm, and yeah exactly and yeah. you'd had you'd had Rosemary's Baby not long before this yes that's the other exactly. one that's the other big one. influence on the Omen and you know mm. kind of also put similar similar ideas out into the world yeah yes as I do often with these episodes I will if I'm not fixing it or whatever, I will go and do a little bit of research. And usually that's in the form of like reading other reviews or having a look at like YouTube videos and like retrospectives and all this kind of stuff. And yes. everybody was like, it's the era of Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist and The Omen. And they all came out yeah. within like a few years of each other. And then here we are. And this was kind of the the dawn of that era of... Yeah, satanic panic horror, whatever the hell, cult horror. I don't know, Christ, Christian Christianity fearing kind of stuff, and it all kind of happened in the seventies. I feel like the seventies was full of like you, you mentioned about like when films were getting banned and stuff, and you get like cannibal holocaust and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. the like really crazy over the top violent stuff, and some of it is legitimately traumatizing and <laughs> well. 
I, I feel that in the consciousness, you also have a rise of... Okay, so cinema reflecting the public consciousness in America. I mean, obviously, we always tend to focus on America, unfortunately, but that's because it's a very loud voice in the cinematic yeah. world. In the same way that the 30s, Germany was put... Well, the 20s especially, was pushing how cinema was kind of seen world over, and Britain as well. But after you had the cleanliness of the... 50s and 60s doing like very much noir and it's like oh it's about gritty and crime it's it's what's happening now and you had the big fantasy biblical stuff going on the swords and sandals sort of things epic productions then you had smaller studio stuff coming out sorry outside the studio system which is where you get the rise of De Palma and Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola and lots of these really interesting auteurs who are not part of the system who are going to say fuck it I'm not going to make the films you want me to I'm going to make challenging movies that started in the 60s but then took, really took hold in the 70s. And in Hollywood especially, in 69, I want to say, I'm not entirely sure about that, but I think it was late 60s, you had the Sharon Tate murders, and you had the post, you sort of have, you know, the clean life of the 60s, Mad Men era kind of look of, of America, and you had the hippie side of things coming through, and drug use, and all that stuff. And it was like, well, this is obviously clearly dangerous, this is a cult, this is a thing, this is bad, this is the devil. And it's like, you know, that very... Uh, Judeo-Christian American, middle American attitude of what the American dream is, post-war America, being met with a very strange counterculture that uh, this whole thing sort of bubbled away in and, and, and came out in the form of these kind of films. Yeah, and especially when you look at American pop culture, you've got uh, Vietnam and, and Watergate in the, in the yes, swirl yes. there as well. And I think it's interesting that a lot of these movies coming around this point when the kind of baby boom generation are getting to the point where they are starting to have children and you suddenly have this crop of films of like, but what if children What if the are babies evil? are evil? And I, I, was, I was surprised as I was watching, because this is the first time I'd watched uh, The Omen and, and Damien Omen 2. I, as, I, as I was watching them, I was like, oh, it's Baby Boomer Final Destination. Um, <laughs> I, in my notes, I have, holy shit, this is just Final Destination, but in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a ta- it, it, it's kind of a less drawn out, tamer version of, of Final Destination. Yeah, it, it focuses more on the tension and less on the like, Oh, look at this guy's wacky death. How unlikely yeah. was oh, that? They, they oh, wow. the mug and now she's leaving a trail of the thing. Exactly, the, yeah. Oh, the washing machine's fallen open. Oh, and then mm. the thing and the a, thing, and then it explodes. Yeah. That, that, that Rube Goldberg machine Rube Goldberg. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Until you get to Damien, Omen 2, where it starts to get a bit more... Hang on, this is kind of slasher film, wacky yeah, stuff we'd see in, like, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And, and let's yeah. get to that. Let's talk about... So, the original... The Omen came out in 1976 and is, for all intents and purposes, considered an absolute classic. Like, very much alongside, as we said, Rosemary's Baby, which was late 60s, 1968, and then The Exorcist in 1973. They're all kind of like... As a trilogy of films, they kind of defined this horror. And The Exorcist is very well regarded, obviously. Again, one of the greatest horror films ever made. And The Omen is regarded in in a similar way. Damien Omen 2, however, as you rightly said, Matt, just gets this weird, and it's the thing we talk about so often in this show, is the tonal shift of a sequel, where, like, 
you took the things that you thought were good about the first one <laughs> and turned them up to 11 and then forgot all the stuff that actually made the sequel good. Yeah. And uh, we'll get to it in a moment. There are some things I like about the second film. There are some interesting elements to it. Mm-hmm. But ho- do they just like try and recreate deaths wackier? Who typed the word wacky into this script and was like, yeah, that's the kind of tonal shift we want to go for. Do you remember the first one where it's all like, it's really drawn out and then like there's hardly any actual gore. There's no like blood flying everywhere in the first one. There's a fucking decapitation from a pane of glass coming off the back of a truck through a window Mm -hmm. and it's just a head that rolls about and there's no like huge splatters of blood or anything like that. Mm -hmm. The second one is like, Let's just make it cartoony. Like, <laughs> yeah. why? Who thought that was a good idea? Like, that's not. I guess they must have seen like what people like the deaths, and the deaths in the first one are really cool and really well done. For the time, there's, yeah, there's the, the very iconic ones of the priest with the lightning rod. No, I think uh, the, cap- oh, the, the decapitation name. and the priest with the lightning rod are the two I'd seen beforehand. Ah. And the the hanging at the beginning, but that's oh yeah, a different the, kind of the the creepy. teacher swinging through, and she fucking smashes through the window as well. Yeah. It's like there's a real, I think, I think they're not gory, but they're still visceral. There's a yeah. real kind mm. of like not I don't know, like genuine like it feels grounded. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not really scripted and doesn't feel very in the same way that Final Destination does like everything yeah. perfectly lines up that it happens to hit him in the eye and that kills him or whatever. Whereas there's like everything slightly off or mm. like like I said as the the teacher hangs herself at the beginning, <laughs> she doesn't just go and it cuts away. She swings and as you would in real life mm. because she jumps. Yeah. You would swing and you would hit the wall, but she hits a window so the window smashes, so it adds like an audio element to it as well and adds that little imperfection and that l- nice little twist that makes it a bit yeah. more interesting. And the second one is just kind of like a bit more polished, cartoony kind of things and some fucking bad death acting in the second one, which we'll, yeah. which we'll get into. Yeah. But yeah. Well, it's because I remember, I remember now it's Lee Remick as the actress, so I want to get the mm, actor's name right. right. Yes. But Lee Remick's death scene where she falls from the banister and hits the ground is very much in a similar way, sort of like to Psycho. And it's been sort of, it's the thing when you, when you realize what's happening, you're like, wait, what? Because you think, oh, that's cool. She's like, ah, dunk. And the camera falls with her. It's like, how did we do that? And it's like, oh, well, she's on a board and they've recreated the wall, uh, the floor on the wall and they've stuck the fish to the wall and she's just pushed along and goes, oh, and hits the wall. <laughs> but it, when you see that again, you go, oh, that's obviously what's happening here. Yeah. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. But when you don't know it, it's like, wow, this is really crazy. Yeah, I think the, the, the second one has a lot of issues. Yeah, but it does. Whereas the first one, the deaths are reasonably spaced out and they're used kind of sparingly. The second There's one, only a few in the whole film. Yeah. Yes. We've, we've pretty much just listed all the big famous ones <laughs> just then. There's not like... Did, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. The second one, it feels, it feels like almost like something like The Ring or um, It Follows, where it's yeah. just this chain yeah. of deaths. And, and it, the, the film just has this pattern of, like, person finds out that Damien is the Antichrist person dies horribly but passes that information on to one other person and then that person <laughs> and guess who's next yeah and it, and it just it's it's just it the, the deaths become so rote because you're just like within two or three time two or three times of that happening you're just like well we know what's going to happen to this yeah dude. yeah exactly <laughs> it's like, oh this guy is looking up oh he's found out that 
Damien's mother was a, a a jackal, and now he's in an ev- uh, a lift going up. It's like, well, we know he's going to die in this somehow, and mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. a little bit of a twist in how it happens, but yeah. it's still like it, it robs it of any tension because it becomes so rote and predictable that you know exactly. You, yeah. It's just a case of like spotting how the death is going to come rather than where death is kind of thing. Yeah, it also happens mostly to characters we don't know or care about. Mm. Yes. It's very, we don't feel anything, whereas in the first one it's like, oh shit, because you do, you're, they're on the quest to find things and the more they uncover, the more dangerous it gets, uh, which is why the opening scene of, of Omen, Damien Omen 2 um, is tricky because it's, it's the same cinematographer. It is literally, yeah, director. shot. As, as, so it so it is within continuity yeah. of the first one. So it one, feels like it? oh, we just shot this at the end. It's like oh, it, it, yeah, it, it bleeds over really nicely. And that was like fuck. Ah, oh, if only they ah, oh, they were so close. And that's the kind of the, that sort of frustration you want to get from the deaths. It's not just like, like oh, this is terrible. And Gregory Pick goes oh my god, no, and covers his eyes. It's only ever does. Oh, acting. But um, it's the fact that you're like fuck, they're one step further back. They've been pushed. It's like. Solving a puzzle box and someone restarting, you know, you piece of shit. Um, whereas this one's like, oh no, now I guess we're gonna have to kill him. I, what do we have to hand? Oh, we've got some paper. Whoopsie daisy, kill off another paper. character. Yeah. And um, what you just touched upon, Tim, and I think is the important is that the first one is tension is is kind of the key driving force behind the film. And the deaths kind of just happen to give you a crescendo, then you come back down again, then you ratchet the tension back up, then it breaks, then it ratchets back up again. The The second film is a bunch of deaths connected by other things. It's like, it's like mm. I think this is how they genuinely write Final Destination, is they come up with the deaths first, mm. and they're like, how do we get person A into room a with person yeah. b so that they can witness as you said they witness person b's death just in time for they go damien's the end of quest yeah. and then, <laughs> don't trust the boy yeah <laughs> yeah and that happens over and over and over again in that it just does just feel like a sequence of deaths or when other stuff is kind of happening in the background and you also have damien just like being weird at school and i'm like okay and when I I often do the like I'll have a look on YouTube as like what do people consider like the iconic clips? And mm. as I said about the first one, it's the priest death and it's the glass pane decapitation. They're the two things that people fucking love from that first one. They're they're like the most viewed clips on YouTube <laughs> from the first Omen film. And the mm. second one, it's him reciting dates in the classroom. <laughs> it is. And it I'm is. like, people fucking love that scene. I looked this I'm not up. Gonna lie. I love that scene. I, I don't give a shit. It doesn't do anything. Oh, I don't care. No, I think I think it's a shame that they jump. Obviously, it, the, the film is only two years later. Yes. They jump yeah, forward seven years. Seven years, yeah. Yes. It is. Yes. And it's Jonathan Scott Taylor uh, is the young actor playing Damien. And I think he's fine, but he's not good enough for some of the things that they put on him yeah. to kind of get across what they need to. In in general, I was pleasantly surprised because I yes. was fucking oh, it's a child actor in the seventies, and I know this is a bad sequel. Oh God, we're in for yeah. some real shit. And I think he has some really ones. strong moments, but as you said, I don't think he has the charisma or lack thereof. I guess in the case mm. of Damien, the, the the weirdness of Damien yeah. to kind of pull it all off. 
He doesn't. He's not. He's not the kid from the boys from Brazil who plays all the Hitler clones. I don't. Mm. I don't like that kid at all. He's fucking <laughs> annoying. But he's not Danny Torrance. He needs to be mm. good. You're like, holy shit. And the thing is, I, I think I agree with you guys. Jonathan Scott Taylor's fine, but as as Tim said very astutely, there they put too much on him. Agreed. Thing. Yep. Yeah. And the problem as well is when it's a boy, and I do mean like a three or four year old boy. How many minutes Damien's a supposed to be in the first film? six? Fucking all right. Six, six, know, six. Get it? Six, six. Uh. Sure. Yep. Um, I'm not kidding. When he's 666 years old in the first film, <laughs> yeah, when he's that old, it's almost inconsequential. The acting is almost not important, except when he's like being freaked out and terrified or in the car with the monkeys. That's, that's cool, because it's just a child. And, then, and obviously, direction is amazing, so it works out very well. When you become more of a sentient adult, shall we say, through teenage years or otherwise, and this is why the, these films get progressively worse. Because he ends up being the main fucking character. He does, <laughs> yeah. and it is, and then it puts a lot of, and you can have a lot of really interesting conversations, which the film tries to, and you can try and really, it it does the it, it, Catholicism time. It yeah. does the alternate version of what would it have been like to be Jesus at that age, finding out that you're the son of God, kind of thing. You're like, you know, what kind of mind fuck is that? You just say, oh, I'm a normal kid. No, you're not. You're fucking Kal El. It's like, I'm sorry, what? You know, anything where you inherit that kind of legacy or destiny or whatever the fuck you do in a narrative sense. That's why him running to the end of the pier, like, why me? Mm. And they're like, yeah, the running is fine until it gets to the pier. Then it's like, I'm tired. Fuck this. <laughs> um, and a couple of shots of uh, Lance Henriksen staring out the window. And then him staring off and staring to the, crying to the sun. Why me? Being the morning star. But it, the, on paper, a lot of that makes sense. And a lot of it works. It's just in execution. It's just fine at times. Well, it's saddled with there's some weird flab in the script, like it this really whole subplot about the his new father's business getting diversifying into oh, agriculture God, yeah. and yes. making money from famines, but they never that never actually leads to anything apart from revealing that oh one of the guys is is a satanist and like mm. is yeah there's whole bits where they're the just plan. like wandering through like agricultural labs and stuff you're like. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. What's this? And it doesn't. It doesn't pay off. It's not like because there's this whole subplot of like, oh, they're buying up land and and that's gonna make people subservient to them. And it's like it doesn't then transpire. It's like, oh, we've bought up like the hill in the Holy Land where he's going to, you know, summon <clears> all <throat> his armies or you know, open up a portal to hell or something. It just, I, I, I don't think i missed the the point where (laughs) like yeah unless i dozed off at some point that subplot goes nowhere it just stops and i think this like to to kind of jump back a little bit like in the first film you had this element of mystery where like we you know from the word jump that like something's up with this kid but there's a lot there's a slow parceling out of the information as the characters find it out you kind of find out like, oh, like, you know, obviously something creepy is going on with him, but then it's like, okay, well, like, let's go back and find out like who the actual parents were. It's like, oh, the mother's, the records have disappeared and we don't know what happened and the no one remembers. Okay, well, let's find out. Let's find the grave site and all this kind of stuff. In the second one, the only information that is passed around is, hey, this kid's the Antichrist. And there's no additional yeah. information uncovered that is then that they occasionally uncover stuff that we already knew about him, 
but there's no process of like feeling like you're excavating at this mystery. It's just yeah. passing. It's literally just passing a note in classroom of just like, hey, Damien's the Antichrist, and so it doesn't. It doesn't feel like there's any momentum in like no one's getting close to foiling him or or him progressing in in any kind of plans because it's just it's the same bit of information being found out over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And that's genuinely probably, I'd say, one of the biggest flaws of the movie, writing-wise, because the first one is an unfurling mystery. And the whole time there's this, this almost race against time because the kid is still being raised. He's still growing. He's still being nurtured by these uh, Mrs. Baylock and all these fucking other creepy bastards. Whereas you're right, there's there's the elements of this in this movie, but even though they have like a huge revelation where a doctor says he's got the DNA of a jackal, like yeah. stop, that is a medical first. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it's like I want to take another test. No, you don't. You want to fucking get on the phone it's, right now to some fucking yeah Nobel. It's not as big a deal as it maybe should be. Like if you're yeah. like that's a fairly important thing to be like. Do we, do you want to do you want to double check those tests? Yeah. yeah. Just make sure there's, you know. He, he looks entirely human, but he has different or warped DNA from what we understand. That doesn't make sense. That literally doesn't work. You either go these tests are wrong or and again as Tim said it's like, "Oh, turns out he's something a little bit off about him. Something very <laughs> evil." It's like, "Well, we fucking know that." It's, yeah. it's I can't believe we're coming back to it. Fucking jaws, episode 1 of the podcast. Once the shark is out of the box, you can't put the shark back in the shark box. <laughs> we know he's the Antichrist. Do something with it. And it's fine because I think the internal conflict, the turmoil, him wanting to be friends with his cousin. Um, and like, old Mark. Accept me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> screaming. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's there. It's just not good. And also, um, William Holden, who apparently was one of the people considered for the first film mm, instead of Gregory correct. Peck and yep. turned it down yep. and then realised, oh, it's a good film. Um, should have been in that. Actually, I think Gregory Peck's a better choice because it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> no, Daddy, don't kill me. I'm going to kill you, boy. It's like, not. Nice. She wants me to stab the boy. Stab a boy. <laughs> Damn it, Peck, you fucking psycho. Um, but William Holden, I fully believe, would stab that kid in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's like, but those two being brothers is, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's fine. Um, and you know, him being part of industry and being reared for politics and put him in the military school, the military school thing as well as the, and as an idea, fucking love it. The execution is questionable. Um, the self doubts. There's so much there. That's again, Jack said earlier. There's a lot here that there's a lot to like by description only. If I On was to paper, say. It kind of works. Yeah. 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 It's a film about the Antichrist. He's a bit old now. He's not a boy. He's a teenager. He's 12, 13 years old. You know old. what teenagers he, so he, are like, right? Yeah. Imagine if he's, <laughs> he's Antichrist he's, as well. He's getting like puberty. Antichrist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so he could blend in with other fucking Antichrists. Um, I mean, teenagers. And he's gone to military school to learn how to, you know, the arts of war. And his father works in industry and he has the access to this stuff. He can, and he's getting used to his powers, obviously, in the same way like, you know, puberty becoming a man and you're having your own conscious thoughts. But he's conflicted about it. He just wants friends with his. With his cousin, and he has the ability to summon birds who attack people. It's fucking great. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, it's not good. Um, and um, again, the way that the first film, I, th I think direction is a key thing. Richard Donner, I brought in Donner for my 
Star Trek. I think Don is fantastic. He's done so many varied films and done them really, really well. That's a real testament. You can do something really good. Like, like Kubrick does a Kubrick film really well. Um, but to do the stuff that Don has done is like, oh, no, I did this. I, I, I have shaped so many genre firsts, as it were. It's like, that's, it, that's a quite a career. It, it feels mad that he, you can look at Superman, The Omen, <clears throat> and Lethal Weapon. And it's mm. all the same director. <laughs> yeah. Every time you say that in the Donna film, you're like, wait, what? It's like, oh, yeah, the Goonies. Like, sorry, what? <laughs> and it's just like you keep throwing bits and pieces that don't make sense. Um, and then you go, I mean, obviously, the unfortunate thing about it, he, he just hasn't done a great deal worth talking about in a while, mm. unfortunately. But he's still a man of extreme talent, in my opinion. Um, and again, the relationship, if that's the right word, he had with. Um, uh, Harvey Spencer Stevens. So the, the one of the most iconic shots of The Omen is the end of the movie where Damien turns to the audience, mm. breaks the fourth wall, and it's fucking creepy. Does his his, creepy little smile. Yeah, his father's funeral, he's holding his uncle's hand, turns back, and, and they're doing that. They want like a creepy stare and then to turn back to scare the audience. But the problem is, Donna sees the kids starting to go and he says, don't you do it. Don't, no, don't. And he starts smirking and he turns around again. And that's the shot. Because it's like, <laughs> yes, because it's real. And we'll come back at the remake if in a second. If any of you have seen the, uh, the little girl smiling at the flaming house meme. Yeah. It's kind, <laughs> it's kind of that. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and that kind of stuff is great. But then when you have a conscious, more adult actor who's aware of what he's doing, you don't get away with the wry smile, like cheeky little kid thing. You have to be like, no, he's a comp. If he, if he killed someone, if he shot someone, be like, that's terrible. That child is very misguided, but he still needs to be tried in like a, ju- um, a juvenile, juvenile court, court of yeah, law yeah. because it's like, yeah, yeah, because he's still conscious of what he's doing. He's not a, a boy playing with his father's gun. He's Satan's son. Also, we should, very briefly, we need to talk about Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time in the show once again where resident in. Catholic Matthew Stogden educates <laughs> you. Sit down. For a festive chat about <laughs> Satan. It's that time of the year once again where your Damn, old Catholic buddy's doggins tells you and your family about Satan. All right. No. Uh, nice so guy. Satan, uh, <laughs> in the f- it's never clear. And I, this is something I always find fascinating and, and weird about the Omen and The Exorcist and every other film about this stuff and possessions and so on and so forth. The corruption of children is terrifying. Um, and obviously we'll get that. I'm not, I'm not even scared of that shit. But you know what I mean? The idea that in film and narratives, the idea that this is pure innocence. Imagine that that was pure evil. And that's basically the, you know, the, the gist of, the, of where they're going with this. That's why like, in the ring, Sadako is a cursed kid, and she's like, yeah, "That's why I'm terrified." Of it's like, because she's a, she's just a little girl, she's a kid, and we be, you know, there's a terrifying thing because it's it's the sense of something something innocent being corrupted, hmm. like the Hitler Youth. Um, so, in the same way, you've got this child in the first film, very very young, and five years old, but he's quite weird, but he's cute. He's a kid. Hmm. He's just like, hello, I was playing hide and seek. And he's relatively kind of, passive's not the right word, but... Uh, <laughs> he's not a protagonist almost, and he has no agency. It's almost like the kid has plausible deniability on being evil. Entirely. Um, yeah. 
it's and that's what's interesting it's just weird stuff keeps happening around him and he has accidents and stuff that could legitimately just be a child causing accidents yeah he he accidentally runs into his 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 mum's on a ladder Uh, or a table, I can't remember what it is, and and that's when she falls over the side because of the banister, because he hits her with his 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 tricycle basically mm. before you know uh, the shining did it in a similar way. Um, with the tricycle following around the room and being very, he's going round and round in circles, and Bella just opens the door, and he goes yeah. off, and he's off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like brilliant, but a kid would be negligent like that because it doesn't feel like it's intentional, and that's interesting. But again, this is orchestrated by agents of evil, blah blah blah. But then you get to the mystical realms of the sort of like supernatural element of like, oh, no, 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 that spire was struck by lightning and it did all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then the second film, because it gets so heightened and crazy and this gas leaks and it's ridiculous and this, um, this lift in an elevator cuts this man half like, mm. I mean, if Satan's that powerful, why didn't he just like, I don't know, kill the people in charge? <laughs> and It feels that this is very small fry. I feel like this isn't, I mean, it's like, oh, no, it's protect the secret. It's like, I don't think you're protecting it very well. And it sounds stupid to say that because movie. Mm. But the more you think about the Omen as the films go on, the more nonsensical it becomes. So when you get to Omen 3, and he is a fucking Sam Neill, <laughs> he is an adult. He's not an adult. He's a 30-year-old man. Neal. He's a Sam Neill. Um, and so things don't happen around him. He has to be the agent himself. He has to, And you've just... It doesn't have the impact. I mean, Damien inadvertently summoning fucking crows to peck out the eyes of uh, whoever to protect me, whether it's him or the satanic energy, whatever the fuck it is, is again relatively interesting. A 30 year old man ordering a hit on someone is kind of a boring story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't, unless he's got like fucking lightning coming out of his fingers or some shit, which thankfully didn't do. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's that almost like presumed innocence with young Damien and also mm. like presumed ignorance as well. Like you get the impression that because children don't really know how to handle their emotions or the concepts of good and evil and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. In yeah. the first one, you very much get the impression of like, oh, he doesn't probably doesn't actually know what he's doing a lot of the time. Of course, until the little sneaky smirk at the end there. Like, yes. oh, you, maybe he is on to... Yeah. He's always no maybe, yeah. But it kind of starts off with like, oh, this this person's just having a heart attack. And he was just like, did he mean to do that? Or is that just like a child trying to process, like, that's a child lashing out with anger. And his anger happens to be satanic magic powers. <laughs> so it's like, that would be a kid throwing a toy in real life. Or like, you know, yes. kids punch each other or scratch you or whatever it is. Like, they... They yeah. lash out in certain ways, but his lashing out is murdering everyone around him in very <laughs> convoluted and weird ways. But in, as you said, in the second one, as you're getting older, you have a lot more kind of like self-awareness and agency yes, and consciousness yes. about you. So you're almost kind of surprised he isn't like Superman punching people all over the place and just like, <laughs> fuck you, aneurysm, fuck you, aneurysm. Because loads of it is like, why would you go to the effort of getting a crow to peck out their eyes so that they're blind and then they get run over by a truck? It's like, wait, just have them. Because it's just funny. Have, that's it. It's wackiness. It's this fucking wackiness. And mm. oh, we need to we need to up the ante on the first deaths from the first film. Like, no, you don't. That's not the thing we're here for. We want tension. Mm. We want horror. Mystery, we want the tension. Yeah, yeah. Acting from Gregory Peck and the like. And in this case, <laughs> William Holden. But like, 
they're like, well, you can't just have everybody die of a heart attack. It's like, sure, that would probably get old. I'm being facetious here for obvious reasons, but yeah, there's no reason why Damien wouldn't just be like, everyone, fuck you, aneurysm, heart attack, aneurysm, heart attack. Oh, people just die of heart attacks and aneurysms all the time, so there's no suspicion, there's no bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, well, this guy was very specifically killed by this thing falling on top of him for some reason. We're like, There was a, a poison leak that didn't affect this one child. Exactly. Because yeah. of their it's so in- DNA. Exactly. It's so exactly. Like, why doesn't he just kill everyone with his mind and get away with it 100% it is of the time? Mind bullets. <laughs> so thank you, Jack Black. <laughs> but that's telekinesis, Tim. That is. <laughs> um, I think that's why there are so many, or were so many parodies, and why I entered into to the popular culture because it was the idea of like what if there was this little boy who was like I don't like you anymore um, and even like the Twilight Zone there was a similar sort of stories years and years beforehand that kind of thing about the you know uh, the, the, the um, emotional immaturity and lack of empathy of a child obviously a child kind of gets these things but it has to be drilled into them effectively like no 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 you don't understand you don't hit. You don't do this. You don't. And obviously, that's uh, once again very Irish Catholic. No, you don't <laughs> understand. Do this. Um, that, that's very much thirty the... Hail Marys. <laughs> you think about what you've done. And he's like, he's like, yeah, Hail Mary, uh, um, Our Fathers, and uh, something else that you've never heard of. You do. Oh, it's a test. Shit. I should have realised what this other prayer was. Anyway, so the idea that this has been parodied and done over the thing, I think. Matt gonna weeb out now. I've done the Catholic thing. I'm gonna time to weeb out. Um, I think the most interesting story I think about this is what happens when a teenager who has no morals, as it were, or at least is very questionable morals, but a very clear drive. About to start talking about my favorite anime here, Stockton. Let's do this. Possibly. Um, suddenly gets the ability to kill people yeah. in a semi untraceable way. You end up with Death Note. And fuck yeah. Death Note's fantastic. I think that right there. Might be your Omen sequel. Um, and I, Tim's fixing this one. I'm not going to. I think I'm sure he's done a great you job. To, but you have to very dramatically eat a packet of crisps. That's what you need to do. Take a potato <laughs> chip and eat it. Sign me. Sign me up for that shit. Wrong ways. So I do. I, I I feel like we're kind of we we we've pretty much covered our our problems mm. with uh, mm. the. Omen. I I have a a controversial opinion though that I'm looking forward that oh. I think everyone that come up with these controversial opinions. I think I think Matt's going to try and throw something at me through the Zoom call. Oh no, Tim! I'm actually in your house. Don't worry, I'm, I'll fucking find you. <laughs> Jerry Goldsmith's score is lauded as a great one. It is. I think Tim. it's a bit. I think it's a bit over the top. Tim, I'm I'm gonna ask a question. Just just one question, all right? I'm not I'm not I'm not hurt, Tim. I'm but you fucking will be. Um, <laughs> no, um I have a question, Tim. Are we at this point referring to Jerry Goldsmith's Oscar winning score from The Omen? <laughs> or are we talking about Jerry Goldsmith's eh from The Omen 2? The first one, I assume. The second one is much worse. And has, yeah, absolutely. And has right, Tim. No, no second one. Over your- <laughs> I know where you live. <laughs> but I think the first. I think the first one is a little bit overrated. And the the bit in the 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 the, the very famous the what is it? Ave San Santini. Satani. Satani. Um, very famous. And there's but there's a yes. bit in it 
where it goes like and it it that little moment just feels like it's turned up the knob that's labeled <laughs> wacky just a little bit too much. Do you much. mean that trombone feels, side? Yeah, <laughs> get that yeah. wacky knob. It feels like if if there's a moment where it almost turns into like Abbott and Costello meet the Antichrist. <laughs> um, and I yeah, I think the the first film does deploy the score very well, and then the second one it is very badly used because it's just it feels very quiet and then something creepy will happen and it's that someone leans on the volume lever and it and it just yeah. starts going like um, it's yeah it can be too much okay so i will um uh, caveat for any first time listeners i think i fucking love jerry goldsmith i fucking <laughs> love him he's my boy i'm sorry he's dead um so <laughs> The score for the omen is very iconic and very of its time and very big and bombastic. And I mean fucking big. It's proper, what does a Catholic Requiem Mass sound like? Oh my God! <laughs> it's like, what does the Requiem Mass sound like the Mozart did? Oh my God, it's too fucking much. And doing that, um, Tim's right, there are moments that are so absurd because the whole thing starts, by the way, bum, 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 It's like, bum, 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 bum. It's like, what? What is this? Because um, it is very big orchestral score and things like that. And it's very, very, let's say, bombastic. Uh, tons of Latin. And it likes to scream at you a lot. Da, 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 da. And that became a very much a running parody and a running theme for other things to emulate and so on and so forth. And that mostly, because there was still like that creepy street, like, ding, ding. And it was like, like a bed of presents, shall we say, um, that would set off an eeriness where, um, Peck was like, as 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 uh, Thorn was creeping through the room, trying to cut Damien's hair carefully, and there's this horrible tension building. So I think it's, it, I think it's very good personally. Obviously, I'm very biased. I will, however, completely agree it doesn't work in the second film because I I don't know if it's just Goldsmith going eh fuck it more of the same, or it just doesn't pair up with what's on screen because of the direction and what's in the script because. When Damien does his like run off and say like, oh, why me? And he runs off and the score's fucking belt in it. And it's just like, build to this. I feel like you've come in too soon I, and you've got nowhere I, to go. I feel like it's half Goldsmith <coughs> and half just the sound mixing of the film. Like, ah, Nolan, you say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was my That's thing, fair. Tim. I think, I think the score is really good. But I think the way that it is mixed and it is, it, I don't know if this is on purpose to add kind of that sense of discomfort to the audience, but it is, is literally overbearing at times. Like the, and I've referenced this scene quite a lot, but the priest death with the lightning rod and stuff. You've got the wind, you've got the rain, you've got the storm, and the score is going ballistic at the same time. And it's this like sensory overload of oh, madness. Mm. I'm like, maybe it's just like eight out of ten instead of like eleven <laughs> for the whole thing. But yeah, I I can see what you mean. And I as soon as you said I have a controversial opinion, I was like, oh no, it's a Jerry Goldsmith film. I know I know where this is going. <laughs> you two are gonna fight over Goldsmith again. I, no, 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 can I, I, I can take the criticism. I, I would actually add, I think that another thing that, that really wasn't really commonplace until the 80s, although there is lots of examples like with cat people in the 40s and things, I know there are different things and 
I know Howard Hawks did a thing about it as well. Before the 80s, jump scares weren't really a thing. Mm. So any new revelation in film, any new trend, you'll find that people emulate it and, and just make it complete cliche. I fucking hate jump scares. <laughs> I think they're really fucking lazy. I love a slow burn tension. I don't mind one or two in place where we use well, but it's very cheap. Um, and the way you do a jump scare is, yeah, okay, some shit, weird shit happens on the screen. Like, oh, visuals. But horror is entirely in the sound. If you are too scared of a film, turn the sound down. Put subtitles on, put it on like barely visible, like two or three <laughs> on your soundbar, your volume on your TV, and watch it. And suddenly all the on-screen jump stuff or the gore kind of becomes silly. Yeah. Um, but if the sound design's good and the music's good, you will be terrified. I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, back in GCSE English, for some reason, we were watching uh, a clip from Nightmare on Elm Street. And okay. we compared watching it with the sound and then without the sound. And without the sound, it played like a slapstick comedy. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. I think because the omen's like, ah, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Just let me sit. You can't sit because it's always dun 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 dun. It's coming for you. Yeah. And this is before Jaws, before you get that. Um, yeah. That iconic. Um, 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 Wait, no, 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 that's not true. My apologies. I think I've just mixed up the years. Omen's 1976. Jaws is first. And Jaws is 1975. Correct. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, again, I think it's probably because of the nature of how logics make films and things. They're probably about the same sort of time. But still, the jump scare thing still is the idea of, oh, fuck. Like, again, Jaws, is a, we've mentioned this before, is a good example. Um, the body falling down. And like, oh, God, oh, God, it's a thing. I wasn't expecting to see that. And the music stings that with it, heightens yeah. it. And because you've got this really over-the-top choral thing and you think, well, rather than just, you get a really loud noise and it scares you, it's this constant onslaught of music and it becomes more tense and I, I can't settle, I can't calm down. And we've gotten much better over the years. It's refined. The horror can be really tense with a really almost non-present score, shall we say. Or in, like I say, in, in, in The Lighthouse, the sound of that horn, the foghorn going off, is terrifying, even though it's expected. Um, whereas in Omen 2, none of it really fits. The themes are there, that big sort of orchestral thing you used to do, the, big, the, the Latin being hummed away, the, the strings and the brass. It's all, it's all, it's all firing just at the wrong times in the wrong place at the wrong tone. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. So before we ramp things up and finish off discussing The Omen 2, something I mentioned earlier that I need to discuss is some, some bad death acting in Damien Omen 2. <laughs> and we hinted at it earlier. My favourite, as in the absolute worst, is Mark's aneurysm in the snow. It is... <laughs> The worst. <laughs> and the come back to uh, me, Mark. Uh, Stay by my side. No, Damien, I can't. Well, if you can't do that, to... oh no, Damien, what are you? Uh, 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 Christ! He just starts holding his head, and there's a noise that he makes as he like hits the ground. This this poor kid. Um, <laughs> he makes this weird like. Mill noise. <laughs> like, milk. Was like, milk. <laughs> he, he, so, somehow knew Jason Derulo was going to scream milk like forty years later. Uh, In but, the midst of his aneurysm, he saw through time. <laughs> he saw the horror. Him. 
Yeah, cats. it's a satanic punch- punishment. He sees cats in its entirety in about two minutes and has a. <laughs> Most people's lives flash before their eyes when they die. Cats <laughs> flash before his eyes, which oh, is, in a way, is a fate worse than death. <laughs> but my God, that, like, that. I know cinematic deaths are kind of infamous for being. Actors love to die. Over the top and drawn out, exactly. And they have the, like, I will. Deliver my final lines very dramatically. So you have to hang on my every word, <laughs> and then I will die. Uh, or you get stuff like previously covered on sequels Dark Knight Rises, where Talia Al Ghul <laughs> just goes, Oh, I'm dead now, but. Uh, and just dies in a truck for no reason. But Mark's death is the best <laughs> and the worst. And then it's followed by some great fucking acting. It is. I think that whole scene of the two of them like arguing back and forth, and yeah. I think the Mark and Damien relationship is the most interesting thing in the second it, film. It really is. Because yeah. you have a person that in theory actually cares about Damien and who Damien actually cares about. Mm-hmm. And I would... I, again, we're going in blind this, this season, listeners. Matt and I have not read Tim's pitch. Nope. But when I watched this, instantly my first thing was like, I, I, again, I have no idea if Tim is even sticking with the same age or the same timeline or whatever. I would have focused the film on Mark and Damien and had, like, Mark do some evil shit and Damien convincing him. <laughs> would you have called thing. it The Omen 2? Mark and Damien. <laughs> and his name's Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and you call it Omen 2, Cousins Are Legal, because that seems to be <laughs> your thing. Cousins. Are legal. <laughs> I would have done, and it's a beautiful gay love story yeah, between. I'd two. have aged them up it's, so it's appropriate. Then you find he's not. He's, he's not a cousin because he's 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 adopted anyway. Um, so it's fine. He's adopted. Even it's even more well, legal, Matthew. Forced adoption because through through. But um, is it bestiality if he's got jackal DNA? That's the question. <laughs> Omen two. Just... Call me by the number of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> That's the porn parody. Oh. <laughs> the mark of the beast. Uh, huh? Oh, huh? that's a pun. Actually, it's a pun. That's, a pun. that's actually. Why didn't they do something with that? I know, right? <laughs> Thank you very. That's what. That's what my yeah. called the Omen Two Mark of the Beast. It's a big old picture of Mark. Like maybe yeah. he had two friends. One was called Jack, and one was called Al. <laughs> <laughs> and they're actually his mother. Yeah, exactly. I saw his mother wrestle on. His mother was a jackal. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I just needed to get the, the Mark Damien thing off my chest because that is no, it's that's fair, the that's thing fair. that stuck with me from that second film, maybe more than anything else. Well, again, there are moments that you think, why didn't you do more with this? Yeah. There's so yeah. much, there's so much why didn't you cut out all the agriculture? And God. No! The Bible said agriculture is where the world will end, damn it. Climate change, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Better than the third one, better than the fourth one. The remake is. The remake is. It's, the it's remake's like not Gus Van Sant's Psycho. It's like, this is pointless. So, to Why put it again, uh, something we haven't particularly discussed. Uh, I often open the episode with, like, what's your history with this film, which we haven't done yet? Um, mm, true. Tim mentioned you watched both of them for this episode and not seen them before. Obviously, yeah. Matt has seen every single one because he's an absolute psychopath. Mm-hmm. I saw the remake in America on the 6th of June, 2006. Hey, six, six, <laughs> I was six. disappointed. Um, Liev Schreiber was all right. Yeah, Liev Schreiber is probably the best thing about that film. 
Uh, although the again the the redo of the deaths, let's go wacky and fill them with CGI and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so yeah. you take like the the priest death, presumably of Shriver, take the priest death from the first one where he's impaled by the lightning rod and stuff. In the remake, he gets punctured full of glass as well for no reason. You're like, okay, Abby, so you slay. so the lightning rod <laughs> comes down through a stained glass window somehow smashes all the glass it, it really does you see it hit the glass and like smash the oh, glass yeah, yeah. and then like all the glass impales him and then he's very gorily like impaled by the thing as well whereas in the original it very clearly like hits his ca- his like cloak behind him and he just kind of hangs off of it like yeah that's yeah. a guy just it's, dangling it's, off the, a the, bit of metal the first one's great because he looks so awkward Yes. At the end of it, and and that mm-hmm. makes it feel real. Yes, it's like absolutely. yeah, he would look. It's it's, it's like the imperfections again. Yeah, where uh, yeah, yeah. where Jack Nicholson shoots the person's like ah oh, she she fell funny. Exactly. Yeah, and you get you you get that with those deaths. You get those little imperfections where it's like not everything is perfectly lined up, and people just don't fall perfectly backwards. And feels like an accident. It's weird. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And in the remake, it's like let's make it as dramatic and gory as possible. And you're like. <laughs> And he's perfectly again, like, like splattered. To clarify, the director Richard Donner, fantastic, does some 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 really maybe some of your favorite films. Who knows? <laughs> maybe uh, Who knows? John Moore has not made your favorite films. <laughs> he made um, after the Omen. He made Max Payne, not a good film, and A Good Day to Die Hard, not a good film, <laughs> and another film that I can't remember. But um, yeah, he's. It, but the thing is. The remake of The Omen is uh, behind enemy lines, genuinely is fine. Oh, Behind Enemy Lines, yeah. Oh, he did the remake of Flight of the Phoenix as well, I think. Which was, again, I think that's why he got this job, because it was like, it was all right, it's a so, remake. And then he made another yeah, remake. So, put it, to put it in perspective, and I'll talk about John Moore in a second as well. I have watched one, two, and the remake in preparation for this. Because, oh, okay. fuck it, why not? Uh, you, you told me to avoid three like the plague, Matt, so I did. As much as I, Oh, you didn't see the hologram much, Jesus. I know, you warned me about hologram Jesus, and I was like, <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Um, but when I was looking up John Moore and, like you said, like, oh, what else has he directed and stuff? I saw he directed It in 2016. I was like, he did the It remake? What the fuck? <laughs> that wasn't 2016. Yeah. No, it's a film called IT in 2016 <laughs> starring Pierce fucking Brosnan. <laughs> and I was like, Pierce Brosnan's not in It. <laughs> I would love for Pennywise. <laughs> That'd be so interesting. <laughs> it's gone from Tim Curry to Pierce Frost. Can you imagine? <laughs> I was like, what a weird thing. I was like, I have not seen any of these films. And as you mentioned, Good Day to Die Hard is the one I'd seen. I was like, yeah. And he did the Max Payne, oh, the Mark Wahlberg Max Payne movie. <laughs> one, maybe, maybe the worst film I've seen outside of sequels. <laughs> <laughs> that film it's is a hot pile of shit, but yeah, that that would that kind of uh, set me up for failure with the remake. And the remake is crap. It's not terrible, just unnecessary. Yeah, completely unnecessary. I, I, I mean, yeah. it, it's it's perfect. Requalizes territory, really. Like if we ever if we ever do remakes on this show. Uh, okay, for, just so you guys know, stupid thing to say. It's better than three and four. Four is a made-for-TV piece of shit that got rid of the director halfway through and so it was, all, it, was, it was a nightmare uh, and a piece of shit. Not even worth talking about it. Three is very disappointing <laughs> for a lot of reasons. 
it's the countdown to the second coming of Christ. And you're like, right. Hologram Jesus. And it generates a second star of Bethlehem. And you're like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, and then Damien has to go and kill all the boys in England born on a certain day. <laughs> in a yeah, I, I read the fashion. Wikipedia summary. It also completely yeah. throws off the time frame because it's, oh, it's crazy. It's what? It's is it eighty three or something? I want to say uh, something in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it it specifically positions grown ass Damien as being you know thirty two or whatever in nineteen eighty three, yes. which means that. The first films then have to be set in like the fifties, mm. when they're, and they're yeah. very clearly set in the seventies. Because yeah, England every, in the seventies could be the fifties, to be fair. True, <laughs> true. Uh, the third one was nineteen eighty-one, by the way. There we go. Oh, there we go. Yes, yeah. right. Yes, yeah. And then, and then a lot of other stuff with priests and this woman. I can't remember half the shit happens in that fucking movie. But the point is that he's getting into being a, an ambassador, like his uh, his father, and all this stuff. Now he's working his way through. He's a CEO, and he's you know, because the whole industry stuff. And the end is ridiculous because the Megiddo daggers come back because, of course, they do. No, oh, you haven't even mentioned the daggers from the second one. Oh, we have a knife, stuff a boy. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he gets stabbed in the back by this woman, you know, that he's, he's been with, his mystery, basically. Um, and then finally, in the end of the film, Sam Neill's Satan is staggering, sorry, Antichrist, is staggering through a courtyard and he's like, Aah! and Sam Neill gets some of the worst fucking dialogue. He's, <laughs> I don't know if he's really trying, but he's, he's perfect casting. Sam Neill's a really interesting choice, but terrible fucking thing. Anyway, so he's like, Aah! and then he falls over and above him in an archway is a big old Jesus going, what up? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it's like a glowing hologram sort of thing. He's like, what's this? And then, uh, then Damien just passes out and the film kind of ends. And it's like, oh, so did Jesus come back then? What, what happened there? Is this like now revelations? What, what, is, what is this? You've, you've, what are you doing? And that's the problem with the nature of the omen. The first one ends perfectly. It's the whole, yeah. oh, he's in the system now. You're fucked. And I was like, oh, sh- that's terrifying. The second one was like, he's still around. He's up to trouble. It's like, yeah, he's not really, I don't think he's that much of a threat. Unless I like, unless I'm his cousin. Uh, I think it's fine. <laughs> And then the third one's like, oh, he's, he's, he's in charge of industry and he's going to be like the president one day. It's like, I don't care. <laughs> People are surviving like Nixon and Reagan's about to and, happen. And so if I've you're been, doing S- Second Coming of Christ as well, you then have to deal with like, well, then presumably there's raptures happening and so all the yeah, good people have like, left Earth anyway. And, yeah. you know. Where are we going with this? Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. It's like, where are you going with this? And that's kind of the problem with the sequel sometimes. It's like, what are you doing? It's four didn't make sense, and I'm going to talk about it. Um, the remake is going, oh, just do it again. It's like, yeah, and as as Jack said, modernizing it for an audience with more gore, more scares, and more jump scare bullshit. It's like, yeah, it doesn't really work anymore because you're taking again. This is the problem with some things you do have to remake and and change things to make them work for a modern audience. Some things you just spice up. This is pretty much the exact same thing again, just more blood, a different sort of cinematic choice, uh, cinema, cinematography, uh, cinematography choice. It just looks very mid two thousands with that weird saturation and the high contrast, and it's like, oh yeah, it's fine. So we've thoroughly eviscerated various Omen related films outside the first one. <laughs> none, none of which quite match up to the to the the quality of the first one. 
so now before we before we get into fixing it, let's uh, try and earn some money with a little bit of an ad break. Our first ad, as always, comes from Stitcher, that wonderful platform that you can use to listen to sequelizers and all your other favorite podcasts. Listen to them ad-free with Stitcher Premium, the plush luxury version suitable for American ambassadors and sons of <laughs> Satan. <laughs> Stitcher, you're listening to this? Yeah. Stitcher. I love you. Endorsed by Satan. Yep. You can get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more with Stitcher Premium. And uh, more did... means satanic powers, but Yes, exactly. Satanic chants, ancient prophecies, that kind of thing. Six-year-olds with snakes on their head. Exactly. Mm. Shit uh, falling off things. <laughs> um, you've got you've to hear the latest comedy album by the Whore of Babylon. She's... <laughs> I mean, it's it's I not. I thought you were doing a legit recommendation for a second. I was like, "Oh, Tim's got a call, you fucker." It's not very. It's not very. She she does she does go blue. Like it's not very family friendly, but but very well observed humor. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you can get all of that for four dollars ninety nine cents a month, or thirty four ninety nine a year, and using the promo code Sequelizers. You can get a month free when you go to stitcher.com slash premium and sign up today. Stitcher, the dedicated podcast platform. Is that the thing? I don't know. I just made up their tagline for them. So uh, They owe us money for that. It's good. Yeah, exactly. Our second ad. Now, perhaps you've, you've just watched The Omen and you've seen <laughs> David Warner taking some lovely photographs. But you're like taking a pane of glass to the face. <laughs> but you're you're looking for something that doesn't have eerie shadows, like kind of foretelling your own oncoming death. Very good, Tim. Very good. And if that's what you're after, then our next advertiser is for you. This year, we are all looking for the perfect holiday gift, and today I want to tell you about the gallery. The gallery shop is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminium, or aluminum to our American listeners, <laughs> giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, for the holiday season, the gallery is exclusively offering our listeners 25% off your next purchase using the code FRIDAY. That's 25% off your next purchase at thegallery.com. That's the G-A-L-R-Y.com and using the code FRIDAY. The gallery, create your perfect space. Before we get to Tim's fix of Damien Omen 2, I still hate that fucking title. Damien colon <laughs> uh, Omen 2. Yes, mm. I'm missing a colon there. Always dangerous if you're missing a colon. I think it's called diverticulitis. Oh. <laughs> it's called Mark. <laughs> Hello, Mark. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about some Rotten Tomatoes. Scores, shall we, for some for some films mm. in the Omen franchise? And if you're new to the podcast, we know Rotten Tomatoes is not an aggregate score. That's not the point of Rotten Tomatoes. It basically determines whether something is positive or negative, whether it is higher or lower than fifty percent on a scale. And the percentage of positive scores is what we discuss here, and that is called 
the tomatometer, if you will, <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not making any of this up, I swear. <laughs> and we do this every episode. Tomatomate. So, gentlemen, Mr. Stogden and Monsieur Matum. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Hello. I'd like you to guess the tomatometer score for 1976's The Omen, please. Let's I'm, start with the original, shall we? I'm very tempted. The I'm not going to. The Antichrist. But I'm very tempted to say 66.6 for every <laughs> single one, and I hope I win. <laughs> oh, how sweet that would be. Um, all right, all right, let's think. It's horror. Horror's never really received well. But it's a classic. It's religion. Religion is never received or critiqued well. <laughs> but it's good, it and it's a classic, and it's Gregory Peck bringing acting. <laughs> and Lee Remick was also an established actor. My God, man. Um, fuck it. That's my answer. Um, 92. Oh, straight in the 90s, man. I like it. Okay. I, I think it's worth it. I, I think it's going to be quite a bit lower than that. Oh, mm. fuck you, Tim. Just, just because of... I think there'll be critics at the time who didn't like horror, didn't like the religious yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. and I think there'll be modern people who don't, who who, it's that kind of you know, it's the classic thing of the stuff that was groundbreaking once is now very passe, and I think a lot, yeah, of, yeah, a lot of teenagers, if you made them watch this now, they'd be like, "Where's the entertaining deaths? Where's the final destination shit?" Yeah, laughably dull. Yes. So I'm I'm gonna say seventy-seven percent. Okay. Now you've got those uh numbers locked in. I'm not letting you change your answer, but <laughs> there are no of the time reviews listed on oh. the omens rotten tomato. What? Page. The earliest goes back to all the way back to the year 2000. However, <laughs> however, it is January the 1st, 2000, and that is often used for publications where they did not know the date yes. and it precedes that date. So I don't <clears> actually <throat> know when these things <laughs> were. Mm. How wonderfully but, cursed. Yeah, exactly. How, how mysterious. Eerie. How mysterious. Mm. How very normal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Someone farted on the set. It was the curse of the omen. Devil didn't want it made. What? Next up, we have the film Tim is about to fix. 1978's Damien, colon, Omen 2. Damien 1, Omen 2. <laughs> Brilliant. Gregory Peck, nailed. <laughs> no, Daddy! <laughs> um, I think this will be quite a significant drop. I'm Classic sequelizers dropped him. Not quite that far, but I am oh, going to okay. say okay. fifty-three. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say it is a sequelizers drop. I'm saying it's like fifty percent less. I, so I think it's big. Ninety-two. Um, minus fifty. Yeah, what's that? Forty-two. Forty-two. That then. Okay. Okay. Maybe not that low, but yeah, fuck it, yeah, why not that? And because it's me choosing these, 
Let's do the remake. Fuck it. <laughs> okay. Okay. 2006, The Omen by John Moore. I don't think this will have what been looked on very kindly. I'll give you a clue. It was. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think it was. I think it was. Un- I think it was scathed more than it needed to be. If I'm honest, I think. Mm. I think people would. It's like you can't mess with a classic, which is true. Mm. Um. So I think, I think it's gonna be like lower than it should be, like twenty percent or some shit. Maybe less, maybe 12. Uh, fuck it, let's stick with the twos. So I said 92 and 42, did I? You did, yes. 22. 92, 42, 22. Sure, okay. why not? Uh, I, w- I won't go quite that low, but uh, I will say 30%. Well, this is an interesting one. It's a tie. Yeah, in fact, <laughs> got a clean sweep again. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just, <laughs> just barely. So, you both over and undershot the original 1976. It is 86 percent, which means Matt is ever so slightly closer. Uh, ever I'm so slightly like, closer. 86, I'm okay with. I'm not good. That's yeah, actually yeah, yeah. That's good. 86 percent from 50 reviews. Audience score 80 uh, percent. Okay. Oh, okay, that's well. a, fair enough. Okay. Second one, Matt. You are very close to oh, this. Really? 44. Mm. I don't think one. it's that bad. I would. It's a, mm. it's a 55, 60 for me. I'm not saying it's good, well, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with it being <laughs> low. I'm not going to lie. I bet you are, you fucking traitor. What <laughs> <laughs> um, traitor came out? <laughs> and once again, 26% for the Ooh. remake. That's bad. That's low. Again, I don't think it deserves that. I mean, it's, it's not yeah. good. There's nothing new with it. It doesn't do anything interesting with it. It just does something. If you, like, hmm. if you like the little uh, critics' consensus snippets of the original is, the omen assumes an excess of gore in favour of ramping up the suspense and creates an enduring, dread-soaked horror classic along the way. Yeah, that's well, fine. I'd agree with that pretty, statement. Pretty spot on. Yeah. Second one. They just call it Damien. <laughs> Damien dishes out ghoulish scares and a biblical body count to generate some morbid fun, but this repetitious sequel lacks the sophistication of its predecessor. Yeah, I, uh, re- repetitious is a very apt term. Keyword. I, I would take the word repetitious ghoulish sequel. out. Ghoulish is only reserved for Adam Driver. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm... And the remake, even with the force of the classic behind it, Remake Fever can't hold up the hollowness of the style-drenched omen. Mm. Remake Fever. That's the most 2006 <laughs> sentence. Yeah, it is. It Remake is. Fever is taking swipe. It's like, what? It's not a fever. A lot, a lot of people comparing it to Gus Van Sant's Psycho <laughs> yes, remake. Yes. Just like, here's the original, but modern. Nobody needed that. For some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, yay, but okay. <laughs> what? Hold on, what? You are, are you looking at uh, minion porn again? <laughs> I, I wish. <laughs> really? That stuff was what monstrous. This? Oh, right. Unfortunately, uh, the publication The Spectator is subscribers only. Oh, the Spectator can suck a dick. They're yeah. all. Yeah. I just clicked on Death. The only positive review on the first page of the remake of The Omen on Of course it's from Martos. the fucking spectator. <laughs> practically, <laughs> I don't think you're ready for this. Practically Antichrist himself. Things like the other ones, you've got stuff like the film doesn't leave you with bad <coughs> dreams, it just makes you wonder 
what's the point of watching this remake when DVDs of the original exist and, and various other <laughs> things? Yeah. The original Damien reigns supreme in the world of the Antiquette. Sure. Blah, blah, blah. This one, it's a highly entertaining comedy, and the best thing about it is you don't even have to watch any football. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the f- that can't be the, right. Uh, and I can't see it. It's a paywall. It's hidden behind a paywall. I mean, so there's some rugby in the first archive. film. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing a rugby game, and, and Gregory Peck looks like he, but he's acting. He's like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. Yeah, good work, boys. How is that possible? That doesn't make any sense. So the metrics might be skewed. It might be, in fact, lower. <laughs> the spectator just doesn't have <laughs> link fucking files. For a film to scare the pants off. I've, I've managed to stop the pop-up from loading. So ah, it's classic. Peering through the letterbox <sighs> to try and find out where you can scroll through. What? Are they, are they reviewing other stuff as well? <laughs> it's their shit publication. Cold, they're they're definitely talking... They, they start talking about The Omen. Someone once had an excellent idea for a film to scare the pants off of us. What if Gregory Peck, who represented nothing but good sense and respectability, adopted a baby boy and that cute, ickle, shock-haired newborn turned out to be Satan? Stop. Which is not entirely true. He didn't adopt his own fucking son. <laughs> he it was switched to birth. He didn't this realize, fuck rinse. you, Spectator. Fuck you. Well, he does, he does Olivia technically adopt Gla- him. He, he, oh, yeah. Good he but he doesn't him. know that. <laughs> he doesn't set out uh, to do that. Olivia Glazebrook of The Spectator, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> um... She talks about John Moore, blah, 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 blah. What about people who saw the first film? <laughs> okay, so it's another... F- it's actually quite funny that Rotten Tomatoes have picked that. That is the closing statement of her review is it's a highly entertaining comedy and the best thing about it is you don't have to watch any okay. football. Because halfway through the review, she says, no, there's no reason... No, there are two reasons for this remake, and they're both pretty feeble. One, the release date is 666, oh. which we all know means Satan and how much... And two, we saw a gap in the marketplace, quote-unquote, says Fox chairman Tom Rothman. And with that terrifically uninspiring comment, all is made clear. Anyway, enough of that. Go and see Offside instead. It's about a group of Iranian oh. women trying to get into a football match in Tehran, and it's marvellous. With great good humour and the kindliness Jafar Pahani, uh, Panahi, sorry, the director, has addressed discrimination, freedom, and authority in Iran. Match day. The mood is fractious. The, the other half of the review is literally of Offside. And it ends with, it's a highly entertaining comedy, the best thing about it is you'd have to watch We've uncovered something fucking fantastic here at the minute. Which means that RT just, like, takes what the appears to be a snippet and is like, yeah. fuck it, so that'll it, it, do. Not so much a review as her just wobbling on about what film she's seen that week kind of thing. I, I should yeah. point out... Um, it's in, it's in, under the column of, and I quote, cinema. <laughs> Doesn't say it's a review, oh, technically. Man. It's just like just an opinion piece that sort of rambles. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I do actually know Offside, and it is a fucking great film. So she is not wrong there. Yeah. It, but that's so weird. It's a highly entertaining comedy, <laughs> and the best thing about it is you don't have to watch any football. I mean... That's just a fact. Sure. Uh, that, is, that is one of the few positive reviews 
So on... the few positive reviews that caused them that skewed the metric is in fact a negative review. A negative <laughs> review that is half positive about a different film. This is bad. And this is bad. We are see... now. This is the curse. This is Satan. Because what we got now is we've been doing this for three or four fucking years, and it fi- turns out it's all bullshit, which we knew. <laughs> it's all a bunch of bollocks. And she also doesn't give it a score. So I don't know where they've got positive the score they, from. Yeah, they have to, comedy. Positive yeah. or negative. I mean, not everyone gives stuff um, scores. They, they... Admittedly, you usually have to submit your own links for this sort of stuff, so yeah. it's probably they didn't, like, eh, fine. There's, that. A, there's an intern there's an somewhere published judging whether yeah. something's positive or not. Some poor bastard. Right, should we get on with fixing the film? I don't know. I just want to <laughs> read the rest of these reviews because they're absolutely mad. One more. Just, it's just six words. Ten things I hate about the apocalypse. One out of four. Is 1. that because Julia Stiles is in? Yes, yes, God, yes. That's terrible. That so, is yeah. terrible. Oh, God. But also unsurprising. God, these, these reviews are the best. Being a critic of an established paper or established website or whatever is supposed to mean, in theory... Editor- editorial oversight the idea that you can't just put what you have think out there it has to be screened and for some reason especially those Rotten Tomatoes that's a good thing They're like well you can't just talk shit it's like but an opinion or a review is talking shit because if your review is backed up with reason as to why it's shit or good then it's fine and that's never the case with a review on a fucking DVD or a um, or a bus stop advert from the fucking News of the World mm-hmm. in the back in the day, or the Sun or something, or the Mirror would say, "Great rollicking entertainment, ten out of 10. It's like, right. <laughs> I saw a thing that was picking apart. I can't remember what film it was, but it was it was like a notoriously badly reviewed film, and they were picking apart how a quote from the Sun had got onto a poster mm-hmm. and it was half of it was from a uh a sub website on the sun's like yes. thing yeah. that was paid for by by the company mm-hmm. and then the <laughs> other half was from a page three girl in her little like the news in briefs thing that they have and it turns out that she starred in the film well Fucking hell. Starred, <laughs> appeared in. Um, I, uh, I'm so annoyed that I can't really? think of what. Oh, it was definitely it was Revolver, yeah. the Guy Ritchie film. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I gave that a relatively positive review. I thought it was all right. It had some interesting ideas. Are you a page three girl? Yeah. yeah. We're learning. Takes all sorts to make and you're- a page three girl. Um, which, again, most recently some dickhead said, oh, you're taking away working class jobs from women. It's like, Again, uh. um, I remember a poster or and an advert as well for a film. I can't remember the film. It was really pissing me off, and they were just onslaughts, and it's do 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 do, and it had all these various uh, publications, and it's just the word funny. <laughs> um, I can't remember what comedy it was, but it, it's it's wonderful you crop it because if you say this isn't funny, this thinks it's funny, it's not funny. But if you just crop it down to the word funny, yeah, funny. It's like the great ah, I can't. This is another one. It was a film where a bunch of papers had given it like four stars. This is the Tom Hardy one. And then 
the Observer had given it two stars, and yeah. the way they framed it in the poster made it look like like someone's head was covering up the two middle stars. It was, yeah, and it was yeah, yeah, so yeah. they showed the Observer and only two stars, but it made it look like there were four. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah. That was uh, that was um, legend. Yes, with Tom Hardy. Yeah, and uh, you're right. It was like in fact, I've got it on screen here. Uh, Mirror Online, Empire, Sunday Express, Total Film, Sky Movies, Time Out, De- uh, Dazed. Yeah, why not? Attitude, Glamour. It's like yeah, okay, yeah, sure. MTV, four out of four. Like everyone, and then in the middle there, The Guardian two, and it's like, hmm. but the, as you say, the way it's framed, it looks like it's a four star, and that's actually, I must admit. I, I, that's very clever. It's I do pretty, like that. You kind of have to respect the you have team. to, yeah, because you're putting it front and center. Yeah, you even and people would go, yeah, but it doesn't matter. That film, by the way, was most definitely a two out of five. <laughs> I know people are doing things of fours now, but agreed. Yes. Anyway, so it's finally come to that time, ladies, gentlemen. Priests, the tribes of Zion have assembled. The star is there in the sky. Go. I'm a stab a boy. <laughs> coming of the star of Bethlehem. There's knives. We've got a bunch of knives. We're yeah. All the kn- knives of yep. Megiddo are back. Bugenhagen is such a stupid fucking name. <laughs> it's the best. Shiko Bugenhagen. So good. Yeah. Tim. It is. It's your turn once yeah. again. My my third on the trot. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What was the first one Tim fixed on the go? Spy Kids. What was the second one? Ocean's Twelve. Oh my god. No, nothing. I was trying to make six 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 to my camera. <laughs> uh, you'll be pleased to know that my pitch comes to uh one thousand. 666 words. Fucking brilliant. I couldn't... I, <laughs> Just to break the illusion there a bit, when Tim and I were on the call earlier, it was like... Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't done that intentionally. <laughs> and then I did a... Where's the, where's the fucking advert? Did a word count and was like, off. oh, well, now I need to trim Perfect. a word off. Too good not to. Now yeah. it's cursed. Um, so, oh. my film... I'm ready. I'm so ready. It's called Damien Rising. Ah, like Hannibal Ring. And is taking place and is being made in the year of our Lord, 1991. 1991, Anno Domini. Um, Personally, this isn't, uh, I'm not going to get into this already. Mm. Personally, I'm not a fan of the rising title formula, but I'm willing to hear you out, Tim. I'm willing to hear you out. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not particularly attached to the title. No, it's fine. So right? I'm I'm happy to hear. How about, how about the Damien yeah. Knight rises? Uh, I'm happy to hear other suggestions, but but I I definitely wanted to get away from Omen. No, I get <laughs> Damien it. That makes sense. Um, director Damien two. I've <laughs> seen Damien one. No, carry on. Sorry. It's Omen, then yeah. Damien 2, <laughs> then Omen 3, and you're like, what? Uh, yeah, director, Joel Schumacher. Holy I shit. very much like that idea. I knew so you were going to say coming, that, Matt. Uh, after The Lost Boys, St. Elmo's Fire, this is, and yeah, this is Flatliners. Yeah. Flatliners, especially. Well before yes. Cat 
uh, well before Batman, Batman Forever, before Falling Down. Uh, I'm actually people always think about Batman for Robin, doesn't make them. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting uh, off of his filmography by by having him make it th- uh, this film this year. Uh, mm. We're getting rid of Dying Dying Young, uh, which was a uh, melodrama starring Julia Roberts. And was not very good, apparently. No, I, 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 that was terrible. It was a bad film. And you getting rid of it is actually a fucking service to both Julia Roberts and um, Campbell Scott. And yeah, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in it. It is, yes. Fucking hell, it's a bad film. Yeah, it's about leukemia, if I remember correctly. I think you are correct there. Yeah, not that that's a related thing. It's just like, oh, oh, yeah. So basically, going with Schumacher, very much channeling his. Um, that kind of uh, the, the the style that he had in kind of flatliners uh, that kind of makes when you look at it, it makes sense that he was the pick for Batman. Um, mm. There's quite a kind of gothic sensibility to it, but also kind of uh, a sort of a just after the 80s kind of wealthy lushness to it. I mean, flatliners is a supernatural pursuit film. Mm. So I'm that that's what like I'm fucking sold here. And if that's we great. if we can get uh Yander Bond to shoot it, <laughs> yes. uh, we'll we'll do that too. That would Definitely. be spectacular. Yeah. Uh yeah. returning cast. Just the one as Ooh, Carl Bugenhagen, <laughs> Leo McKern. And I, I was worried about this because obviously so is he alive? Uh, it, it's um it, yeah, is he alive? Does he look? Because uh, uh, he he will basically be picking up in 1976 in the same role. Oh shit! But fortunately, Leo McKern looked roughly the same age in 76 as he did in 1991. He's just <laughs> one of those. Yes. One of those faces where he is. He has yes, just looked he's like just that gently forever. playing Rumpole of the Bailey at this point, and you just <laughs> need to whack a big bushy beard on him, and no, uh, and he'll he'll be perfectly fine. Like Pat, how Patrick Stewart has just yes. kind of been seventy-ish <laughs> since yeah. like nineteen eighty-eight. Exactly. I, I discovered this or re-emerged recently with, with uh, Christine uh, Baranski. She kind of always looks the exact same age. I know she's not. I know she said mm. surgery. I know she. Her face always kind of just looks the same, whether she's in Mamma Mia or fucking Sybil years ago or a Christmas film we'll come back to at some other point. Um, <laughs> the Grinch. Yeah, she, she, yeah, Grinch, exactly. She, she, she just looks the same. Yeah. So I so, get that. That's yeah. actually, that's very, that's very helpful. Yes. Because I was like, it's like, oh, if you're in 1976, and, uh, but no, good, good, good. Yeah. So he's, he's our sole returning cast member. Cool. Uh, as obviously most of the people in the Omen get killed off. Yes. Uh, new cast as Damien Black. Black? As will be explained. Damien Black. Uh, Robert Sean Leonard. Yeah. I love the, the idea it's explained like he's Satan's uh, son. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, he's called Satan Black? <laughs> uh, yeah, Robert Sean Leonard, uh, who has been in Dead That's Poets great. Society at this point. Okay. Uh, goes on to be in Swing Kids, uh, the Kenneth Branagh Much Ado About Nothing, and then it's mm-hmm. probably best known now as uh, Wilson in House, the yeah. TV series. He, he's a very interesting choice. Mm, right. I have a silly question. Mm-hmm. Are you going to dye his hair darker or leave it that sort of brown that it is? It I don't would, have a problem yeah. with it, but I assume it's going to have to be 
dark. I'm not sure. We, we probably wouldn't go like pitch, Black. pitch, like hot topic mall goth black. Uh, but but we darken it down brown. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. Silly question, but I'm just curious. It's sort of, sort of a sort of yeah. sandy, mousy brown kind of thing. Like, yeah. yeah, but he looks too. How can I put this? Like with like with Wilson, he's too housewife's choice. He's too charming. He needs to look a little bit darker and blacker and more Damien-y and yes. Carry on. I like that choice. That's good. As Father David Mozarowski, Peter Falk. Hey, brilliant. Uh, nice. Obviously famous nice. as Columbo, uh, has been in uh, Wings of Desire. Uh, Love the, Wings of Desire. The grandfather in The Princess Bride at this point. That's fine. Goes on to be in a few other bits, but, you know, it's Columbo. It's Columbo. Uh, as uh, one more thing, are you the Antichrist? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, you got me again. Uh, as Rabbi Gnome Bookman, or book, Bookman, yeah. Uh, F. Murray Abraham. Love it. Some good uh, cast you bring out here, man. I love these people. Always, always wonderful. Scarface, uh, Amadeus, Name of the Rose. Mm, Goes on mm. to be in The Last Action Hero uh, and, and a villain in Star Trek Insurrection. Nah, that mm. film doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as Imam Jamil Masood. Oh, you're bringing all the religions in here, man. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, a full Judeo-Christian spectrum. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Delroy Lindo. Fucking brilliant actor. Oh, lovely God, stuff. You, Tim, this is good so far. I like uh, it. At this point, he's uh, it's just been in more American Graffiti, uh, mm. which is a sequel that we'll, I'm sure we'll get round to. We'll someday. come back to that fucker. Uh, at, it's on the list. Uh, shown up in the uh, the Beauty and the Beast TV series with Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh fucking hell! Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, yeah. And then just just after this point, he'd been uh, Malcolm X. Goes on to be in Get Shorty. Um, recently in The Five Bloods. Uh, which I, I still think he's going to get an Oscar nom for that. Might mm. get a win. I think he will. Yeah. Uh, as Beatrice, Jennifer Connolly. Oh, good choice. Ah, nice. Uh, okay. Just prior to being in uh, Rocketeer, um, has obviously started out in Labyrinth, um, done a few other films around that time, and then goes on to be in Requiem for a Dream, a bunch of other stuff. Mm. Uh, Julia Black, Faye Dunaway. Hmm. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Chinatown, just been in the movie version of The Handmaid's Tale at this point. Yes. Uh, and then uh, goes on to be uh, in a few other things. Joan of Arc. Done, the... done anything recently? Not not a huge amount recently, no. no. She's good, though. She's always good, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as Benjamin, Sean Astin. Ah, <coughs> nice. Samwise Gamgee himself. Yep. Uh, Levi, Will Wheaton, Wesley. A lot of Star Trek. Here. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> That's a lot of Star Trek. That's a is that Stand by Me? Yeah, Stand Stand by Me. Period. Um, him and yeah. uh, Sean Astin both in Toy Soldiers around this time. Actually, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so kind of reuniting them. Toy Soldiers as Busby, Dexter Fletcher. <laughs> Busby. Uh, who people know now as kind of a director, did uh, rescued Bohemian Rhapsody and did Rocket mm. Man. Um, mm. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Had been in, uh, it started out as a child actor actually in The Elephant Man um, and various other things. 
I didn't he was know in that. Uh, Bugsy Malone as well. He was in Bugsy Malone. Uh, was in uh, Caravaggio, uh, the TV series Press Gang in the eighties. Mm, yeah, uh, and then goes on kind of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and various other stuff like that. But I, I like Dexter Fletcher. He's got a good personality, good energy got, to him. Got a good face. He does. He does. Uh, and finally, as Teddy uh, C. Thomas Howell, mm. um, who was kind of at the height of his fame around this point, had been in The Outsiders and Red Dawn and then kind of fades away a little bit in the 90s, but um, he's in the TV series Southland now. So that's mm. what he's up to, if you were wondering, what's, what's C. Thomas Howell doing? <laughs> no, I don't, more I don't think I was worried about that. Was he in E.T.? I think he might have been. I'm going I'm to quickly check. Only reason because, uh, you know, Antichrist... E.T. Same thing. Yep. I'll still the difference sometimes, isn't it? Yes. He made his debut in E.T. There we go. Oh, there you go. So yeah. That's, that's my that's my new cast. Like it. That's a hell that's of a very cast. That's very good. Yeah. That's very solid. Um I always love the I'm bringing back one, one person. <laughs> and here's twelve originals. Yeah. I mean that's what Damien Omen too did, isn't it? In theory. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I've just, yeah. I, I, you know, between Spy Kids and Ocean's 12, I had f- two films where I had big casts who were all returning. So this yeah. time I wanted to uh, chuck everyone out and, and bring in. And go for Nusu. Yeah. Okay. Stretch my Tim, casting legs. I've, I've liked your two pictures thus far. It's your third one. I want to see what you're going to do here, Tim. I want to see what you're going to do. I, want to, I almost want to not like it because if you get three in a row that I like, <laughs> Then I feel like I'm not doing my job. <laughs> okay, oh, wait, 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 wait. It's 1991. Yeah. Tim. Yeah. He's still alive. Who's doing your score? <laughs> Tim. I think, I think we will stick Hans with, Zimmer. with, Fuck with you. Jerry Goldsmith. Um, Tim, welcome to the correct room where you live. I was Good. I was tempted. <laughs> the correct room. Uh, Is there the wrong room? When you die. Room one hundred and one. Um, there was. Who was it? Uh, bum, 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 bum. Uh, I was tempted to go with James Newton Howard. Oh, he's worked he's very commendable. Uh, yeah, he's this time. But yeah, yeah, we'll stick we'll stick with Goldsmith. Oh, good. We good. just get we just get some better sound mixing this time. Well, he'll have a different different angle on it. He'll have he'll come back to an old. It won't be like just two years later. Like, exactly. I've, done, I've done that already. It'll yeah. be like oh, I'm going to do a different thing with a '90s twist. It'd be very so, interesting. A more mature, a more mature sound. Yes. He's still going to have his big white ponytail. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but between then and '76 and '91, he's done like Poltergeist mm. and Rambo two. Well, first Bud Part Two, mm-hmm, Rambo, mm-hmm. whatever the hell that film's called. Some Star Trek stuff. <laughs> a fair, a fair amount of Star Trek, yeah, in that gap. Yeah, yeah. Lionheart, the classic. How oh, day. Love, <laughs> loves a bit of Lionheart. And absolutely no one the ever. Name of fucking Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fucking find you. Um. <laughs> Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend, everyone's favourite 1985 American action adventure. <laughs> Weird enough, he did um, he did the European version of Legend, um, British Scott film. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, run yeah. Tangerine Dream. But that's uh, for another day. Uh, yeah. 
So, right. Let's fucking go. Let's, let's take you into the world of Damien Rising. In Israel, in 1976, archaeologist Carl Bugenhagen hurries through a storm to the rabbinical archives. Once inside, he spills his briefcase onto a table, and, as he scrambles through his notes for something, we see a small article, not the front page article. Brilliant. Love it. <laughs> as in the Omen 2. <laughs> small article circled in the newspaper that is among his belongings. The article is an obituary for Robert Thorne, and Bugenhagen has underlined where it says Thorne's son Damien is to be cared for by his godparents, US Secretary uh, of State Claude Black and his wife Julia. Okay. As the wind blows outside, the door is flung open and Bugenhagen fights his way back to it, slamming it shut. Perched on a nearby tree, an owl observes him, hooting quietly. Bugenhagen heads to the shelves, climbing a ladder to retrieve a heavy tome. The ladder wobbles as the wind whistles through the archives, but Bugenhagen steadies himself. Bringing the book over to the desk, he consults several pages, then makes some final additions to a letter, placing it in an envelope addressed to Gnome Bookman, and leaving it propped up on the desk. As he returns the book to the shelves, the door blows open again, allowing the owl to fly into the room and perch atop the shelves. It startles Bugenhagen with a screech, and he topples backwards, smashing his head open on the hard stone floor. It's too bad. The owl flies out of the room as the wind continues to blow into the archives, and we see the envelope fall and slip behind the desk. See? Coincidence could be anything. It's, it's very innocuous. Not Satan. <laughs> it's an owl. It's an owl. A title card announces our arrival in New York City, 1991. Damien Thorne, now 20 and going by the name Damien Black, is a sophomore at Columbia University, attending classes with his friends Benjamin, Levi, and Busby. All come from wealthy families. Benjamin's father is a banker, Levi is a shipping magnate, and Busby's father is both a member of the House of Lords and an executive in British Airways. However, while his three friends enjoyed the privileges of their family wealth, Damien insists on working his way through college. We see Benjamin, Levi and Busby teasing Damien as he leaves the campus for his job, and follow him as he journeys to La Vita Nuova, the Italian restaurant in Hamilton Heights where he waits tables. At work, Damien flirts a little with Beatrice, one of his co-workers, and puts customers at ease with his boyish charm. Later, we see Beatrice dealing with her controlling boyfriend, Teddy, who takes the tips she has earned that night and seems to dislike Damien. Damien witnesses their interactions and seems to be keeping a close eye on Teddy. Leaving work, Damien walks through a rough neighbourhood to his cheap apartment. Before going to sleep, he prays to God, asking for guidance. In the archives in Israel, renovations are underway, and the lost letter from Bugenhagen is discovered and posted. Interesting. I like it. Interesting. The next day, Damien attends church. Very interesting. Very interesting. I am interested. Consider me interested, Tim. Visiting confession with Father Mazarowski, who knows him well. Damien confesses to blaspheming when Levi beat him at pool earlier in the week, but seems to be holding back something else. That he's the fucking antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> Something else. It's on the tip of my satanic tongue. Um, my forked tongue. <laughs> Father Mazarowski pushes for more, but Damien avoids answering. After church, Damien has lunch with his mother, Julia, who fusses over him, praising her special boy and telling him that he is destined for greatness. 
Later, his friends try to get Damien to join them at a members-only club they're going to. Oh. But Damien makes excuses, clearly uncomfortable with the ostentatious display of wealth. The next day, Father Mozarowski meets with Rabbi Noam Bookman and Imam Jamil Masood for their regular interfaith brunch. <laughs> That's very 90s. <laughs> nice. A casual meeting where the three religious leaders discuss their neighbourhood. Father Mozarowski mentions one of his parishioners seems troubled, but he is unable to break through to the young man, and Bookman and Masood both offer advice. Upon returning to his offices at his synagogue, Rabbi Bookman discovers Bugenhagen's letter waiting for him. Back at Levita Nueva, Damien sees Teddy threatening Beatrice, grabbing her roughly before storming off with her tips. Damien slips out from work and follows Teddy to a subway station, where he considers pushing him in front of a train, but decides not to, clearly unsettled at his own dark impulses. He returns to work and helps the restaurant close for the night, but while walking home, he is stopped by a mugger. Damien tries to calmly offer his wallet, but the mugger attempts to stab him, only to be stopped when Damien grabs his wrist and stares into his eyes. The mugger becomes terrified, scrambling backwards before dropping dead. Scared and confused, Damien runs back to his apartment. Mm. That was a cheeky wank. <laughs> the next day, Damien attends confession again and tells Father Mozarowski about his dark impulses, but leaves out the specifics of his encounter with Teddy and the mugger, who fucking died. Father Mozarowski tries to reassure Damien, telling him that God will help him choose the right path, but Damien seems unconvinced and leaves the church. Father Mozarowski receives a call from Rabbi Buchman, asking him to meet, while Damien, feeling lost, joins up with his friends, who take him to their members-only club. There, Damien's friends indulge in drink and drugs, while spouting rich kid yuppie bullshit. <laughs> Brilliant, Tim. <laughs> you can tell Tim's written this one. <laughs> About their future as leaders of the world. Despite pressure for them to join in, Damien is disgusted by their behaviour and goes to leave. As he does, he catches a glimpse of a private room within the club, seemingly bedecked with occult paraphernalia. Making his way home, he's disgusted by crime and moral failings of his neighbourhood, and upon reaching his apartment, prays fervently for some kind of sign. A sign over the devil. <laughs> I added that last bit. <laughs> <laughs> or did you? Or did I? <laughs> Father Mozarowski meets up with Rabbi Bookman and Imam Masood, who explain the letter that Bookman has received. It contains a wealth of Bugenhagen's research into the Antichrist, as well as evidence of Damien's origins. Bookman and Masood have traced Damien's journey from 1976 to present day, and Mozarowski is shocked to discover the evidence points to one of his own flock. Unwilling to believe them, Mozarowski leaves, but Bookman and Masood agree that something must be done, and uncover a ritual that Bugenhagen believed would remove Damien's powers. At his apartment, Damien is woken by Beatrice, who has broken up with Teddy. Damien comforts her, but the pair are interrupted by Teddy, drunk and belligerent, who has followed Beatrice at Damien's apartment. While Beatrice waits outside, Damien confronts Teddy, who threatens him with a pistol. Fucking punk. Damien seems to tap into the same power he felt when fighting off the mugger, and a pack of stray dogs appear from nowhere, attacking Teddy, driving him off, and savaging him to death. That's because he's the son of the jackal. <laughs> yeah, dog boy. Control the dogs. Damien returns to comforting Beatrice. Wink. But seems just as frightened as her. The next day, 
Beatrice leaves Damien's apartment and he prepares to go to class where he is waylaid by Rabbi Bookman and Imam Masood. They start to question him about the thorns and the accidents in his youth, but Damien is evasive. Bookman pushes for answers and Damien yells to leave him alone before running off. Bookman and Masood head through Morningside Park, discussing whether or not Damien could truly be the Antichrist as the weather grows increasingly stormy. As they cross the park, a lightning strike causes a tree to fall, impaling Imam Masood <laughs> with a broken run. Nice callback there, Tim, I like it. As Rabbi Bookman attempts to help him, one of the other branches causes a power line to snap loose, causing it to whip out and bisect, Jesus Christ, <laughs> bisect Rabbi Bookman. Later that day, Damien finds Father Mozarowski at his church and once again asks to confess his sins. Father Mozarowski listens as Damien tells him about the mugger and his encounter with Teddy and despairs about feeling surrounded by sin and evil. Mozarowski attempts to comfort him, but as Damien opens up about his darkest impulses, Mozarowski realises that he is the Antichrist. He tells Damien that he's a creature of evil, and he must sacrifice himself if the world is to remain safe. Damien insists that he only wants to do good, and runs from the church as Father Mozarowski whispers prayers of divine wrath. Damien wanders the evening streets tormented by Mozarowski's words. At first, he denies his position as the Antichrist, but slowly he realizes it to be true. It's a bunch of birds go, ah! <laughs> he goes, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Determined to prove his righteousness, Damien heads to the members' club. He bursts into the private room he glimpsed before and finds his mother. Whoa! Oh, okay, that's fine. He bursts into the private room he glimpsed before and finds his mother, his friends, and various other members performing a satanic ritual. No, your, your, your woe was appropriate. It was appropriate. I was like, I, you went, whoa, let's dial that back. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, what, yeah, oh, sorry. Yes. Whoa again. Well, I think it's because I always feel the, the members club is just a strip club. And it's like, his mum's there. Like, Ugh. His mum's there. <laughs> no, oh, I am not stripping. She's just doing satanic rituals. It's fine. That's fine. That's, that's less bad. Announcing that he is renouncing his demonic heritage and smiting them in the name of God, he ignites fire with the power of his mind setting the room and the cultists ablaze. The fire begins to consume the club, and after fighting off his friends, Damien attempts to escape. Just before he can leave, his badly burned mother, Jesus Christ, <laughs> emerges suddenly from the smoke and flames, attempting to stab him with one of the daggers of Megiddo. He manages to wrestle it off her and plunges it into her heart before pushing her back into the inferno. As he emerges from the smoking building, he yells to the heavens that he will not be a slave to the forces of evil and will dedicate his life and his parents' wealth to eliminating evil. Holy shit, is this Batman? <laughs> yes, father, I shall become the fire? <laughs> My mum? Fireman? The, the, the crow? No, not the crow. Yeah, maybe the crow. It's a prequel to the crow. <laughs> As fire engines and police cars begin to arrive, Damien staggers off into the night. Within the burning club, the dead bodies of Benjamin, Levi and Busby get back up, their Ooh. eyes black with demonic power. Whoa! Sure. Looking out from the window towards the silhouette of Damien, the three boys agree that their friend is off to an excellent start. Ooh, very good. What the fucking hell is going on? The film ends with the title reading. 2 Corinthians 11 to 12. Beware those who claim the cause of righteousness and clothe themselves in the robes of the faithful, for such men are false apostles and deceitful followers of false gods. And lo, 
even Satan shall disguise himself as an angel of light, and his son shall come as servant of holy fire. Damn it, Tim, that's three for three. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That was good. Uh, you wow. took the things that worked in Damien colon Omen 2. <laughs> or Omen II, Captain. I don't know. I don't know. We didn't get any mark. <laughs> yeah, because he fucking set him on fire. <laughs> uh, no, I think the, the inner trauma, it's interesting because he doesn't know. That's what takes that, it interesting. That's a big twist, yeah. For me, mm. whether you intended that as like a big twist or not, I don't know, but obviously that's an intention from your pitch. But to mm. me, I was... I would never have considered that in a million years. Does that make sense? Like... Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd have gone that route either. Think, thinking I, I, of the ways I could have pitched this, and I mentioned earlier, oh, maybe I'd do something with Damien and Mark, and do like, not do our necessarily our usual fix the little bits and do little <coughs> tweaks. I would do something sure. completely different, but maybe I would focus on that kind of dynamic. And you've gone mm. something. Well, you do have the friendship thing in there. You've got you know his peers and contemporaries being mm. reflections of him in certain ways, and him seeing the darker sides and the, the nicer sides of the world. But I was not expecting him to not be aware of himself, if that makes sense. And I think it's a really interesting place to take it. Yeah. Because as we mentioned, like the fact that he's a 13-year-old who's like, yeah, fuck it, I'm the Antichrist in the second <laughs> one. That agency gives him so much power that he just kind of doesn't use. Mm. So you twisting it that way and making it interesting where he's like, Maybe he's had an inkling of like, oh, he's done a couple of weird things or like some, you know, mm. say like he was nearly in a car crash, but it wasn't quite a car yeah. crash and he survived on that kind of thing. I'm obviously I'm just they don't have to be on screen. I'm just like, imagine no, but those, his, those are, his those are the, story kind of thing. the kind of details you can layer in throughout the film of like, yeah, weird shit yeah. has been happening around him. Exactly. For his whole life yeah. Kind yeah. Of stuff. That was going to be one of the very few critics I actually have. So I'm glad you got you yeah, that, that already. That's so, what yeah. I was thinking, yeah. like. Mm. Whether whether that needs to be on screen, I would think maybe would be a bit too heavy-handed. I really like the subtleness that you're playing with there, where mm. you're honestly not sure which which side Damien is on, or even which side he wants to be on. And I was questioning whether you were like completely, for one better phrase, like redoing the canon of the series and being like, mm. maybe he isn't the Antichrist. Mm. Who says he's the Antichrist? Like, a couple of people from the first film says he's the Antichrist, sure, but, like... It's just a boy. We don't... Yeah, we don't know that for sure, and mm. you could literally be like, by the way, he's... He's not, because you could even use the, like, you know, Lucifer himself began as an angel and fell to, mm. you know... Mm. He, this could be his like angelic phase before the fall kind of thing. And yeah. I was really interested in see where you're going, and I, I like what you did, but... I would maybe like to see a little bit more. I don't know. It's not the bits in between. I think again. I think that's a bit heavy-handed. But as you said, Matt, there was a little thing there where I wanted to see a bit more of him. Maybe struggling with it. Maybe he he'd had a positive <clears throat> result from his powers that he hadn't intentioned or something like that. Yeah. And he realized like, oh, I can use these powers for good, but I can also kind of. I maybe he like cheated in a game at school or something, and he mm. realized he could like. Jedi mind trick the dice or something like that or something like that. I quite like to see yeah. him actively struggle with should I use my powers for good or maybe I can be selfish about it in that mm -hmm. kind of way. 
yeah spider-man i i, I mean that spider-man that, yeah sure yeah that that kind of internal conflict was the thing i really wanted to get to because i was i was kind of thinking as i always whenever i have like a horror type film it's i kind of try and think about like the core thing that is scary and obviously yeah. in the omen it's basically what if i have a kid and the kid turns out to be evil like yes. just just yes. awful um and obviously um, you can see that we need to talk about kevin yes yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah pretty much that that kind of thing you know obviously that takes a much more mundane albeit oh, yeah, kind of yeah. in some ways even more horrible version of it yeah so i was like well you, you can't really do that like it doesn't work as well for like teenage characters and if you're gonna have if you're gonna have damien be the central character of the film which is kind of is is if you if you if you don't have him be the central character then you kind of have to go the omen two route of like okay well then some more people need to find out about him and it needs to be basically a redo of the first one except he's a bit older now and like mm. where are you finding the variety there if you have him be the protagonist then the question then the the kind of the, the horror kernel at the center of it is the fear of what if i am evil what if i'm fucked up what if yeah and, yeah and and i wanted to have those moments of him like the uh it, like have it start off with him thinking about pushing teddy in front of the train because it's that kind of um imp of the perverse thing where mm. it's like the 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 impulse you get when you're up on a tall building to jump off of it or to you know push the person next to you off it even though you'd never do it it's just yeah. like Mm. that weird little voice at the back of your head that goes like do the wrong thing it, it might be a bit cliched but i almost quite like having it we as an audience and it plays out cinematically he pushes teddy in front of the train and then you do the snap back and they're like damien yeah damien and he's like, oh sorry yeah <laughs> I, yeah i whatever. could see schumacher definitely doing a thing where he's like fixating and focusing on the sound of the train like coming down the tunnel yeah you just hear and the, the image and, and it becomes overwhelming and, and the score coming in goldsmith overwhelming score comes yeah. back in again <laughs> dun, 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 dun. yeah i could see that being a thing done relatively very well actually especially for 91. i wonder if you, you can actually play into that sensory overload a bit because damien is supernatural in that way he i don't know he has like he doesn't have like he's not <laughs> Superman or Daredevil or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but he's processing information in a different way than mm. you know non-jackal people do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's got super jackal here. Yeah. humans is what um, we're talking for. Yeah, I think I think having that like you hear the like jug 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 of the train, mm. and then like you we see a flash of like him pushing him in front of the pushing him in front of the train, mm. and then it snaps back to reality almost like a a couple of frames and you'll miss it kind of thing yeah i quite like playing i know it's really hard to convey in 1666 words yeah <laughs> but i, I it, it was a very visual pitch if that makes sense mm. and i yeah. really found myself imagining the cinematography and moments like that being and we always have this with our pitches like being explored more in a visual sense where you don't just literally describe it on in a google mm. doc to exactly. read out a podcast yeah. because that's not interesting yeah mm the classic cool fight happens now imagine all the cool cinematography and stuff yeah in this way you would almost do it in a like a i can imagine it playing out and being 
like those scenes are drawn out for tension, which is why the first one is so good. Mm. You mentioned it, Matt, with the the priest thing, and you mentioned it, Tim, with mm. also the priest death as well. You get those awkwardly long shots. It just holds on his corpse hanging from that lightning rod for like, why are we still here? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just that imperfect, weird little moment, and I can imagine those kind of shots being nice little callbacks, and you literally have a priest killed by a lightning storm again, which I appreciate. <laughs> I think that that kind of like recalling the tension, but having it focused on Damien rather than the people around Damien is an interesting like twist to the formula from the first one, which I think would work really well in a kind of in terms of cinematography and score and all the stuff you can't convey in a Google. (laughs) (laughs) Any any Wikipedia synopsis covers the big base hits but leaves off a lot of the new ones and unfortunately that's what well that's what we discussed now so the discussion yeah, after that's, so, yeah that's the post game yeah. um so i've got a, a few thoughts mm-hmm. not necessarily negative because i i do genuinely love the uh, the angle you've done with this and as, as jack said i wouldn't have gone down this route either um i would have done a internal conflict kind of thing in a different way i love the fact that you he's gone in blissfully unaware and it's all part of the plan. That was good because I was, as I was going through, I was thinking, oh, this is good, Tim. I like it. Where, where are the agents of Satan? Where is the whole, like, there will be people and they will come to his aid and they will train him. Like, I mean, I'm not saying I... I they it, were here all along. Yeah, exactly. And that's great. And of course, the yuppie bastards. That makes complete yeah. sense. It was so it was great. Because I mean, the thing is, from that, from the way it's described and the way it's thing, all I kept seeing in my head was various Brett Easton Ellis stories. Yeah. Yeah. American Psycho and shit, and 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 uh, Rules of Attraction. I'm like these My God, fucking look bastards. At the business card. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It's um, perfect. It's perfect. So I did. I did my usual uh, trick of having like extremely meaningful names. Um, in oh, this. Okay. oh yeah. Um, so is so is Levi? Is that Leviticus? Uh, so reference Levi is Leviathan. Yeah. Ah, which is why his father is a shipping magnet because okay. Leviathan ah, you fucking uh, was a sea thing. monster. So, like, got a Beelzebub in there somewhere, probably. Uh, that would be Busby. Busby. Yeah. Um, whose yeah. father is a member of the House of Lords and mm-hmm. works mm-hmm. for British Airways, therefore is the Lord of the Flies. The flies. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck. I got that. That was good. Um, and then Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin is, didn't get. What's Benjamin is in, as in all about the Benjamins, the money. <laughs> Uh, which links to Mammon, who is um, yes. which is Hebrew for money. They they Brilliant. are three of the uh, uh, dukes of Hell. of evil. Yeah. yeah, that's that's fantastic. I love that shit. Now this brings me to my other comparison, which is Good Omens, the Terry Pratchett Neil Gaiman mm. book about the summer mm. Which again yes. is a, is a, is, a, is a effectively an omen parody. Mm. Hence the name. Precisely. And it's the idea of like, well, if he was raised in a different environment, maybe he wouldn't be as evil. And and obviously the thing that's kind of hinting at here is like, well, maybe he isn't, you know, maybe, mm. maybe he can reject this thing. And the nature nurture mindset of like, well, maybe he would grow up to be a good person or whatever. And obviously that's, mm. that's turn its head with the ending. And I love that. That's, that's mm. fantastic. And I think that, uh, yeah, th- there's a lot of embedded things that I think are very I, I, I'll be on it. The, the, the biggest influence, and it's one of those things that as soon as I say it, you'll go, oh, fuck yeah. Um, mm. and, and I've probably ripped it off more than I meant to, is uh, The Devil's Advocate. Oh, okay, okay. Um, because, yeah, I see that. Because I, 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 it's a thing that that film does that I, I kind of try and do 
especially towards the end here, is mm. the idea that by by someone kind of acting in in a sort of uh, a righteous way, mm. they can be sort of committing just as much evil as if they are a moustache twirling villain. Precisely, uh, and that's and it's kind of like he thinks that he's rejecting like satan and all his works but he's actually like he's just massacred a whole bunch of people and is like embracing the idea that he has these powers which sets him on the road you've you've played into your hand their hands exactly as as they have foretold yeah it's the return of the jedi Mm. (laughs) as as seen through the your hate yeah except he doesn't actively say it. Unlimited you know. power. Yeah, it's it's Return of the Jedi if it was written well and a bad <laughs> story for Luke. Um, no, I, I I get that. I have two things, changes, shall we say, with the idea of the internal conflict. I like the idea of um, just because it's the nineties, drugs, and let's face it, off a lot of flatliner stuff. I kind of want to emulate something from Timur Bekmambetov's Wanted. <laughs> Okay. Bear with me. <laughs> I want them to be able to bend bullets. Can yeah, you put, bend bullets. Can you put right. that in there? Can you fit a loom into the, uh, into yeah. the f- film somewhere? Exactly. Um, that does sound very omeny, to be fair. Um, no, um, Wesley, James McAvoy's character, mm. um, he has these panic attacks that turn out to be something that he actually has to just push through to mm. get past. I feel like if much of a table about the idea of we want to build up his past experience like oh he's seen things the things that happened but he writes it off with credibility and science and normality mm. he's like oh this must be a thing i must have a condition there is something about me mm. that means I'm... and that's another reason that would ostracize him from the wealthy boys because they're wealthy healthy boys and he's got this thing yeah and that would also mean that when he gets a taste of power he gets a little bit addicted not addicted to it but you know that's like mm. oh I'm, I'm terrified of it Maybe maybe if I just push past this, it's not. I'm not going to pass out. I'm not going to have a panic attack. I'm not going to not going to die. Maybe this is me tapping into something, and that's the whole like you know. It's like getting a small electric shock, and I'm going to put my tongue on the fucking third rail of the of the subway. It's like you're going to die. Maybe I won't die. Um, (laughs) I think that's something I'd like to see. I think, but in in that manner, obviously, I'm not saying do that, but that'd be cool. Yeah. The second thing is. Mozrowski. Mm-hmm. Name's great. Never, never met. We never uh, messed up saying that. Yeah. That was a perfect name. I have no problem with that name. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Damien needs to accidentally kill him. Interesting. Because at the end of the film, I do like the ambiguity slightly. I like the end things. But he's, his, his literal guidance, his counselor, his confidant, mm. who isn't an agent of Satan. Yeah is still alive at well and able he's able to go to him for counsel and guidance mm. and i feel like i'm, I'm it's tricky because the him going in the church i think is fantastically interesting but it's tricky because you need I to lo- set that, that up that moment when we were reading it and I, this is part of why i love going in mm. blind we both go damien goes to church <laughs> yeah I mean, if that was the, the if we were doing a '90s comedy, yeah. sequel, <laughs> Damien goes to church would be the fucking title. Damien's and the priesthood. Um, <laughs> but that's the point. Is I, I think we need to put something in there. Maybe it could link to the whole thing I mentioned earlier about the whole uh, illness, as it were, mm. in the fact that he constantly him going to church is actually causing him physical harm because of the fact in the first film he is terrified of yeah. this place mm. and terrified of the symbols. Mm. He just doesn't understand why. 
as an adult, I think maybe if we add to the whole like typical Catholicism thing, like, oh, he just feels guilt and shame. And he feels it's like, maybe like a conversation with Mazaraski, like, I come here for absolution during confession. Mm. I, f- I feel physically worse. It's yeah. like, well, you do have your condition, your he thing. Literal crippling yeah. guilt. Where like he's doubled over. Yeah, he said like, well, these things manifest differently, and you have your own, as you say, your medical Mm. conditions. Like maybe it's all tied into. Maybe we each deal with it in our own. Exactly, just just little bits and pieces to feed it into the canon, shall we say? Mm. But then I feel Mozarowski has to die. As I was writing, I was like, I'm aware that I've left, I've left Mozarowski on the table. I've also left Beatrice on the table. Yeah, and I did consider having her like show up at the end and then kind of like walk off together with the implication that maybe as the horror of yeah Babylon. maybe yeah. she's influencing him as well but i also didn't want to have mm. both of the two female characters uh, be evil, be, be evil yeah. like deceiving women um so fair fair so she, I, she's I, just I, an incidental person right she's not connected to him at all she just happens to be working with him she's yeah, she's external yeah. peripheral to the Evil. Yeah, exactly. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Um, but I was aware that I'd kind of left them both as slightly dangling, like their relationships are with him are unresolved. And I think I think the more important you've also those, you've also left it open for a sequel, which Well, exactly. You yes. could totally address mm, it true, in that as true. well. But yeah, I think Mozarowski is the 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 larger, more more influential one of those. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, yeah, they're probably should it probably should end with him dying somehow? And- yeah, I mean, even if it's like he leaves and doesn't even know that he's killed him on the way, this classic sort of like in mm-hmm. omen fashion is like, like when he says, like, um, Father Mazarowski and his words are playing in his head as he, he's tormented by it and he goes to, you know, denies it and then to prove his righteousness. In that moment, if that manifests externally, that he doesn't realise he's actually going to kill them. It's like, you know, how do I get rid of this negative thought? And I'll just take it out of my head. I'll get rid of it. I'll, I'll kill it in my head. Yeah. It's like, and literally by doing that, he is actively killing Mozarowski. But because he's so disconnected from it, he doesn't make that connection. But the audience do. Mm. And they're like, oh no, oh no. But he can still go come. It wasn't his fault. He didn't mean to. It's okay. And you, you're still on his side until mm. the last minute. And I like the, the idea that Beatrice doesn't need to be resolved mm. too much because at the end of the day, Beatrice is uh you could do like if you were doing a sequel the, the adam and eve mindset the corruptibility of both mm-hmm. them and is she going to be in the same way that in in omen three uh the the female characters is kind of what comes around at the end of the day she she's turns on yeah because he lowers his guard around her and i think that's yeah i think there's things you can you can do with that one mm. incidentally is beatrice divine comedy yes good yes like it. and uh claude we didn't really fit, fit his father doesn't really fit play into it um, mm. obviously but the 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 parents names are both taken uh both related to nero ah brilliant and obviously it. the Fucking black fantastic. surname is nero as well yes no good so we have to say minor tweaks i'd made to this uh but i really like it you've come in from a very very interesting unique perspective in my opinion yeah. and i think it makes it very very sick and again as we say with these things, cast is very important, the director is very important. I think the tone you'd be going with this would be so different from what we'd be getting around that time with slasher movies and all this kind of stuff, yeah. and horror doing this kind of thing. In the, in the same way, in a weird way, that Candyman, I know this is a very strange comparison for a second, but Candyman came around at the same sort of time, and people remember it being a certain way, and there's a remake coming out, and I, I really enjoyed the film. Candyman, the character, Tony Todd's character, doesn't turn up like halfway through the fucking film. And most of it is a slow burn, 
journalistic unfolding. And yeah. it's got a lot of stuff in there. It's tense, but it's tense. And that made it interesting because it was different. I think this feels like the same sort of thing. I feel like it's one of those that you saw quite a few of them actually in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, a bad comparison, but like Stigmata and End of Days. We had like yeah. these because we were approaching the year 2000. People were like, well, oh, it's going to mean something. Yeah. Yeah, but, I, def- no, that's... I definitely feel like if this film had happened in 1991, there would have been a sequel in like 94 that was set in 1999. Most, <laughs> most fucking definitely. Like yes. Predator 2 in the distant future yeah. of yeah. 1999. Yeah, because he'd be like a late 20s guy and he'd be in the height of his power and it'd be the, it would be the year 2000 and yet that... Well, there you go. We're writing a sequel. There you go. <laughs> and would you want to see a sequel to this, Tim? Do you think? Maybe. I think um, if it was done well. If it was, if it was done well, obviously. Yeah. Um, I feel like you've left too much on there for there not to be. Yeah. Ooh. You left such a huge cliffhanger. Mm. I'm like, and all his friends are demons. Yeah. They're like, wait, what the fuck? And then boom. Like, I would usually agree with you, but the Omens cliffhanger alone is fucking huge. Yeah, and they made three sequels to that shit. <laughs> yeah, but should they have? <laughs> it's they will. Okay. Yeah. The answer is not whether they should, it's whether they will. And mm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. I think yeah. it's inevitable. Yeah. yeah. I think the, 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 the tricky thing with The Omen is, um, and again, this goes, this goes back to kind of looking at the, the biblical side of stuff, yeah. is that... If you if you actually look at the Bible, whenever the devil has to like fight God, God absolutely kicks his ass. Like it is a curb stomp battle. Like yes. there's there's no parts of the the actual Bible where it's like, oh, God and the devil are locked in this conflict. It's like, no, the devil's like doing his thing. But then whenever God or like Jesus turns up, they're just like, whack. It is pimp slapping it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. It, it, it's it's ridiculous because, I mean, I know that's that's how, for lack of a better word, it's written. But the idea that how is this? This is what I was trying to say about the 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 the, the powers of Satan and the Omen, as it was. Yeah. Like, how is this thing a threat? Yeah. How is anybody <laughs> worried about this shit? Because it's not that. And again, as you say, it's always like, and if you play this to the end game, if you play it to its eventual end point, it's like, well, where's this escalating to? Um. I, I guess it ends with a holy war with an angelic morning star Lucifer yeah. and Jesus, maybe the, the, the Trinity. It's like, yeah, I guess that's, that is where it ends. Yeah. Revelation is like, I guess. Mm. Is but that but, where we're going with this? Yeah. No. I mean, because you're, because you're pulling from like apocrypha and, and stuff like that, that isn't canonical in the Bible even. Yeah. Like you've got a lot of wiggle room to just like make shit up. The, mm. the 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 quote at the end, by the way, is is kind of basically me doing a little bit of a uh, interpretation of an actual biblical passage. That's, fine. That's what um, films would do. <laughs> it's uh, it's me doing a Tarantino's Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. But yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah. So I, I, there's there's lots of you there's lots of space to go. But I I do think as soon as you have like an agent a, a legit agent of God rather than just like a human priest type yeah, figure. Sure. Um, but but someone with some actual divine power, you kind of you're straying into very different territory there, and I mm. don't think the Omen as a franchise can stand up to that. I think it's got to be about humanity. Part of it is humanity in the face of this weird ethereal evil that you can't defend against because yeah. it's it's just 
well, a thing's going to fall off a building and hit you and you can't really <laughs> be on the lookout for that permanently. Yes. It is, it's a very much a what-if story, and it plays into the fear of what, again, we were talking about previously, what was going on politically at the time and things like that. The whole, like, what if everything around you really is evil? And it's yeah. not just that things happen to be quite shit, but they're intentionally shit, yeah. and they're going to get worse. That's the fear. It can't be, and now we're at the end game where it gets worse, because then it becomes stupid. Mm. Then it turns and, into left behind or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you, you need this. Uh, that, for that reason, I think that's another. Uh, that's the sequel's problem. What you've yeah. done here is really good continuation. I really, really like it. Me too. Fuck you I too. like it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not, not a direction I would have ever thought of taking. Mm. That's kind of why I love it, because it's really caught me off guard. And yeah, nicely mm. done, Tim. Three for three. So... Pretty much not a Fury Road then. That's interesting. Damn it. <laughs> I did consider having Damien drive off and then turn around and drive back, but with demons <laughs> following him. That would be cool. Classic Damien. That would be cool. And uh, there's Immortan Joe there with a big font full of holy water. Yeah, what you need is, as he's driving around, uh, the devil pulls up and goes, Mediocre! And just drives <laughs> off. But he looks literally like an old school Satan with red skin and horns and a big old Matthew Stockton beard. <laughs> well, that's Damien Omen 2 fixed with a better fucking title. My God. Yeah. It literally couldn't have been worse title. <laughs> <laughs> the Damester. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think I, did, did, I, did, I think Damien I goes to church our, is the one for me, personally. It, Damien goes to church. In our, in our uh, thread, uh, our message chat mm. before uh, the, the recording the episode, I did float uh, Omen 2 Demonic Boogaloo. Um, <laughs> which is still good. Which, which you know, <clears throat> let us know in the, in the Discord which, which you prefer. <laughs> Vote Damien now. 2, Omen Harder. Yeah. Damien with a vengeance. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> a good day, a good day to, to Damien. Damien. Oh. <laughs> Live free or Damien. <laughs> Damien, Damien first or blood die. part two. <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh, anyway, that wraps us up for the episode. I am Jack Chambers. You can find me on all the social medias. I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. It's nice and easy. My initials, followed by my surname, easy to find. How about you, Mr. Stogden? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, all social medias. You can go to cheesemin.com and see the things I make or the redrighthand.co.uk and see the things that I review. Tim! You satanic little bitch! Where the fuck are you <laughs> It's midnight, folks. We're tired. We're very tired. Uh, and, and maybe possessed by sleepiness. Yeah. <laughs> Where can they find you, Tim? At a graveyard? Yeah, uh, in... Well, Twitter's not quite a graveyard, but it is full of horrors. Yeah, it's haunted as fuck. Paul, you can you can find me on there, trivia underscore lad, where I'm a naughty little bitch. Fantastic. Good lord. You can follow us on social media. We are sequelizers on absolutely everything. Once again, nice and easy to find us on there. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Whatever podcast service of your choice, you can support us if you'd like to, and if you're able, monetarily at patreon.com slash sequelizers. And if you want to buy merch, 
or find links to all of the things we've just mentioned, or even a link to our Discord server, which is a lovely little community of listeners, plus the three of us, sequelizers.com. All the links, all the things, nice and easy. Find it all in one lovely little website. And on that note, thank you very much for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week for another Patreon pick episode. Mm. Go forth and spread the good news, bitches. Spread the word of Damien. Oh, there. Oh.